said you're taking watch? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll I'll be voice. <laughs> You'll be voice. All right. Wait, and sovereign? Who's got sovereign? I I uh, uh John, are you up for sovereign? Oh jeez. I, I don't have any kind of script in front of me, but if only uh, there was some type of share screen. If only. Uh you know, that would be a lot easier if I weren't a moron, so joke's on you. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is what we deal with. These are the issues. It's literally the button that says share screen. Yeah, it's big and it's green and it's in the middle. I have a fucking coffee cup in the How's that new computer <laughs> with your two screens? It's uh, daunting and uh, it's a little intimidating and slightly emasculating. <laughs> <laughs>
so, I like I like to pee into the uh, space suit that has the <laughs> no pee uh, compartment yeah. so that I can soak in my own juices. So for those of you who caught our previous episode featuring John, our, uh, our interview with him, John has a long history with the Venture Brothers and was a, uh, actually, John, how would you describe uh, like, would you say that you were just a, like, would you say storyboard artist or were you a man of hats innumerable? Yeah, storyboard artist primarily. You know, when I started the job, I came on as a storyboard revisionist, but we quickly, uh, quickly moved up the ranks. <laughs> uh, I did spend uh, a little bit of time doing some background design on the Christmas special, but that was like a one-off. Um, and occasionally... Did a did a character design here or there just to just to keep me busy on a slow day, uh, but uh, yeah, storyboard artist. Well, we are really excited to welcome you to join us as we cover our next episode in our Doctor Orpheus block, which we are calling uh, "To Perceive and Control." It's pull, it is a pull from um, his introduction <laughs> line, uh, basically describing what he does to Dr. Venture, which is, um, oh God, I don't have the quote in front I of me I feel here. like we would have been better served by calling this a very special episode of Blossom. <laughs> <laughs> you always go for the joke and pull back. Tonight would have been the night to go for it. <laughs> I got left to my own devices on this one at, uh, yeah, no, okay. the night of a drop fair, like yeah no i left him in the woods usually yeah. like I've, I've, i carried him out in a wicker basket into the swamp <laughs> <laughs> i dropped him off no okay so here's the thing uh i've been i've been trying to eat better um and <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> this took a turn uh usually i have my best ideas while having a good thoughtful poop but my my uh, poops have been getting like regular and better and quicker. So I don't have like great ideas on the toilet anymore. It's just drop and go. Uh, so I had um, nothing for the Dr. O block. <laughs> it was just a mighty me. push. And then that was it. Like no idea. could have called it a mighty push. <laughs> a mighty push. <laughs> like I, our Dr. O block could have been called a mighty push. And I uh, let, let this is actually the this is actually the secret to why most like musicians and artists get get less creative over the years. It doesn't. It, it's not. Regular. It's not actually because they stop doing the drugs and the alcohol and the partying and the groupies. It's it's their bathroom habits. It's, it's because they're eating more fiber. It's okay. because it's because it's because fiber. Less fat, less fats in their diet, less animal Yo, protein. I'd like to apologize to all my fans about great nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here I was like, giving, wow. Here I was giving Scott Weiland an unfair hard time about heroin <laughs> for years. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I was building a heroin joke in my head, but you talked me hats off, sir. <laughs> oh. We all know where Elvis died. <laughs> Dropping that last coming, album, man. man. Dropping that last album. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. That's that's where the phrase comes from. So, 
The episode that we are covering today as our next part in our Dr. O Block, a very special episode of Blossom pushing one out. Uh, (laughs) To control and perceive. To control and perceive a special episode of Blossom while we push one out. Uh, It's aired on September 3rd, 2006. This is a great Uh, title. I don't care what you say. (laughs) This was gold. (laughs) Uh, This is an episode that um, it has a great title that only tangentially comes in. Like I expected maybe one or two more jokes out of the title. Like, pardon me, but I thought the title would have more legs, right? And the title <laughs> is Fallen Arches. Now, it's going to play in as we see the episode develop. Uh, it is a very Dr. O. Wait, wait. Did you want somebody in the episode to have like planter's fasciitis? <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I thought we might get a Dean joke because if someone's going to have something wrong with them, it's bound to be Dean. Like if you're <laughs> going to give a character testicular torsion, who's it going to be? Dean. Dean. <laughs> right? You know, if you're going to be like, oh, I don't, now you got to have inserts. Dean. Dean. Yeah, if somebody's gonna, if somebody's vision is going to start going, it's going to be Dean, right? So I, I just, I thought maybe, maybe, but we did not, and that's okay because the other portion of this, the other half of this joke, the metaphor, carries on, and we begin this episode with. It, there are so many strong beginnings in this series, and this episode's a really good one. We get. A video. It opens up with a commercial for the Guild of Calamitous Intent. Hate you can trust. And I love that as it opens, we get how they are personalizing each like video. You know, it opens up with a uh, watch, and he's like, "Hello," and then he oh, covers his mouth with his hand, <laughs> and it's it, it's a, like insert name here, but it's like Doctor Orpheus and team. It's like, <laughs> you have been approved for your own guild certified super villain. And then Ward comes in. Here at the Guild of Calamitous Intent, I'm sorry, actually, Beast and Avod, can I ask you to act this out for us? Hello! Dr. Orpheus and team. You have been approved for your very own guild certified super villain. Here at the Guild of Calamitous Intent, your nemesis is our business. But don't take our word on it, right, Sovereign? That's right, Ward. Since 1910, the Guild has provided first-rate professional menace to all who qualify. Wow, 1910. That's a history you can trust. The Guild is organized leader in havoc. Just look at these numbers. Wow, those are some impressive figures, Sovereign. Why would a hero look anywhere else for a villain? Hold on a minute, Ward. Why doesn't... Dr. Orpheus and T. Just get his own costumed enemy. Oh, watch. Will you ever learn? I think this little film will help you understand. And that is where we get some true brilliance play out. <laughs> like, so it essentially breaks down a short film about why you want to go with the guild, listing three specific examples of how arching can go wrong if you're going with an unlicensed villain. So um, at one point, like you've got the disregard of treaties, like a hero's there having like Thanksgiving dinner with their family. And then 
a villain bursts in, flies into the window, and like looks like he's going to take a dump on the table. Um, <laughs> improperly matched animosity, like the little guys paired up against like the massive hero, and it's just not going to end well. And then the best part inappropriate behavior <laughs> what's the what's the character's name something fop yeah yeah oh, um it has all four of their names in the in the, in the intro yeah. screen they're hilarious well, and i thought uh and, and i know that this is probably one of those like slight little continuity errors because they talk about how they would grab random characters for the silhouettes for the the guild yeah because uh, i know like quote unquote the fop uh is also like turns out to be force majeure hmm um, which I also thought was hilarious for this name. <laughs> like, uh, but no, uh, one of the, the, the better scenes. And I mean, like, okay, I, I guess that's a very interesting discussion uh, to, to bring up. Where does like inappropriate behavior and like arching end and begin? That okay. was my favorite part about this premise is that the reason it was inappropriate was that it was bad touch. Right. <laughs> Whereas, right. like, and the only reason it was inappropriate behavior for the villain to come in and take a deuce on their Thanksgiving turkey was because they were unlicensed. <laughs> That's why it was inappropriate. Right. Is, is it the only? Uh, well, he, he was he was bre he was breaching like family time. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like like you have to, like like arching have like has to happen on a scheduled time. Oh, you know. I thought you meant PM. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. I and... cannot just go ahead and get you to sign off on this arch for me here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're going to be, you know, interrupt dinner with the kids and the wife, uh, it's, it's going too far. <laughs> so then if pooping is an arching that is allowed if it's at the right time and we've seen the monarch clearly likes to do that he likes to go take like a dump in ventures pool he even does the flyby in the monarch uh flying mobile uh and drops it in the top of the the i mean that's a great shot from like from the air like that that's amazing uh what what's a level classy guy very, very classy well Airdrop. and it just shows you the classics don't go out of style it doesn't no. matter how how much money you make how fucking evil Elon Musk you get in life. If you can like leave an upper decker in your, you know, antagonist or your, your protagonist bathroom, that's just as satisfying as like, you know, pointing a laser at his dog. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't well, use monarch, the monarch tried in, in tag sale you writ, but he <laughs> but he failed, which which gave us a great Shakespeare quote reference <laughs> it's, all sound, it's all sound and fury signifying nothing can i read more about it in the bible <laughs> yeah maybe maybe so this was a really and, and, and then we get and then we get this episode with 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 torrid you know uh doing doing his thing Dude, torrid. <laughs> well, torrid is a is an interesting like comic reference like uh that's one of those like i i feel like doc hammer this is one of his dc things like uh that uh this was based on dead man dead man mm -hmm. and ghost rider yeah and i know nothing about dead man outside of like he was a a, a gymnast I or not a gymnast a uh, trapeze artist i thought it was a uh, stunt driver uh yeah see like i and I'm, I'm still unclear on his powers is he just a ghost he like can inhabit people um i want to say the trapeze so sounds Patrick right Swayze from ghost 
kind of. <laughs> no, no, it's a little more like Quantum Leap. Oh, see, okay. okay. When you bring Scott Bakula into it, I can get it. Yeah. <laughs> now we're on Elon Musk. <laughs> oh, which, by the way, uh, that dude has apparently released some sort of fucking Tesla whiskey that yeah. was sold before he could even fucking tweet about it. Yeah. Like, this is not what your papa wanted, Elon. You could have been using all of that alcohol for perfume base. <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, There's a running joke that Elon Musk. Uh, in our effort to make our universe more venture esque, we've decided that Elon Musk's father is Jovan Musk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, after all the things you've said yes to, I wouldn't think this would be a tough one, John. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll go. I'll go with it. Like we 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 heard stories about uh, Comic Con a few years ago. We we know what you've said yes to. <laughs> Ooh, teeny! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Six Jawas at the same time. Hey, they can get places. <laughs> <laughs> they, get places. You know? they can get places <laughs> normal people can't can't won't <laughs> and <laughs> and they and yeah and they have they have uh they have devices most people don't you know here's the one hey, thing let's you move on from that going home with the jawa they're gonna look the same in the morning as they did the night before like when the lights come on, it doesn't look any different. <laughs> I had a friend. I had a friend in high school. We used to we used to always say "wootini" to each other because we decided that it, it that it probably meant like "son of a bitch" or something like that. <laughs> so we always just like substituted it in when when he wanted to say like "son of a bitch," he was just like "wootini." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was funny. If I were going to do a Canadian Star Wars franchise, I would serve poutine. Nice. But I want to talk about more of this episode because this, this, I watched this earlier and this was a good episode. This one really <laughs> cracked me up. Quite a bit. Guest gets us <laughs> back on moment, track. <laughs> John just became a conjectural technician. Welcome on board, John. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right. So we get our opening credit. Or I'm sorry. We get Dr. Orpheus turning down the volume on this videotape. He's the one who's been watching it. Mm. Uh, he asks, who delivered the tape? Triana from the room answers it was some guy with a winter coat and techno goggles and pipes coming out of him. Uh, I also would imagine he might have pee-pee on his belt. They argue about Splash for a second. I love her calling out Splash. <laughs> splash. I love that he's like Splash. Why? Why would you? Why get would you want to watch Splash? <laughs> the love face that. he makes the in great that line. moment is so have, classic. Have you ever met a woman named Madison? <laughs> no. I have. No. I have met many a woman named Madison. You know what I know about every one of those. Madison's parents. Nope. One of them really liked the movie Splash mm. because that was the first time a woman had been named Madison. Really? Yeah, because remember she needed a name, so she, and she was on standing on Madison Avenue. 
Oh. So that's why she said it was her name. Oh, okay. Daryl Hannah's character. So All right. every girl that you've ever met named Madison had parents who really liked the movie Splash. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> we've got Dr. O looking at the kind of like at the credits of the video, so to speak. It's like we are going to be there to test your capacity to essentially screen candidates for your arch nemesis. And he looks at the date and it's today between what, two and six? Mm -hmm. Already starting a little like, and I always thought that this was intentional, that this wasn't like a oops delay, like, nah, we're catching you off guard, a little light arching, here we go. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, our opening credits roll right after Dr. O freaks out and disappears in a puff of smoke. So our setup for this episode. I just want to say there's a moment when, when he, as an artist, like there's a great little touch from the directors. And, Listen, are you and about the, to bring up the sound effect when he fucking whips his hand around? It's, it's not necessarily the sound effect. It's, it's the way his hand whips around is so it's it's bizarre it move it moves in such an awkward way that it's just it's one of those moments that like us as artists when we see it like all when we're all like together in the studio and we see it we're just like oh like that's this cool little like two like a second of animation that's just like huh that came out interesting. Like, <laughs> like, like, we didn't intend for joints to bend like that. So but, was that the B team or the C team? I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna have to ask the directors on that one. It depends on on who who really put the effort into that one. <laughs> but, oh, and I um, love the the choice of sound effect. Like, caught me immediately because that's. Uh... A classic like uh, Hanna Barbera WB yeah. uh, sound effect. Like uh, I think that's also what they use to transition in Super Friends. Yeah, was that one like particular sound effect they used to, to teleport? Like, uh, and that's one of the things I love. You know, kind of about the the touches on the show is when they drop those like legacy sound effects mm -hmm. and you know, the fact that I'm a 35 year old grown man like geeking out like yeah that's the sound effect like those are the drums from fucking uh like the bongo drums from flintstones like yeah <laughs> speaking of anachronisms uh we've got dr venture showing brock and his then the boys his new walking eye that does walking eye stuff oh this is the best <laughs> it's a walking eye <laughs> yeah, right. uh camera in there yeah <laughs> lasers uh, i love how he's just writing down everything they say right and then reads it back to them you got that from us yeah <laughs> monkey poop I got that yesterday like, yeah. i mean it's a walking eye they're all the same it's a walking eye that's all the same reconnaissance <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as this is going on a whole bunch of guild operatives land on the venture compound hank and dean are thrilled cool helicopters <laughs> right brock doesn't freak out uh but he says i gotta uh what is it, dr b is like you're gonna do something about this brock's like yeah they just landed in my herb garden <laughs> oh yeah i mean and, and that's actually uh i mean that herb garden 
Yeah, that, that comes back later, uh, you know, in one of those like set up for continuity. But like, I mean, the, the we see how Orb played out. We, we, we were all there. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that they used that moment to to come back to, you know, like uh, that's one of those pearls that I think they know fans would look for. Okay, so we're going to set up Orb and Brock's going to have a thing in his herb garden because in Fallen Arches, he says they're landing on their herb garden. Why do you know that? Because I just got done cutting the commentary and I'm fucking tired, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, somewhere in a subway, a vampire hunter named Jefferson Twilight is fighting two Blackulas. Right? Uh, are, are they Jamaican or perhaps like uh, some some type of Creole? Like they sound like they... It's like Creole, yeah. It's kind of New Orleans accent kind of thing. I think was yeah. the, was the intention out, there. Like French. What's and that? we had a, a talk about how awful my French is. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, like I just I thought it was just like straight up French uh, because they bring it back up later. Like you know, well I don't know what a, a you know. Rochambeau. Yeah. Oh, no, it's like he's talking about later. Uh, was it? I don't know what a a black vampire in the UK is called. It's not an African American vampire there. Like, right. right. So I that was kind of a preamble on that. Was like you know, well, there's a French black vampire, so it's not you know. And then, <laughs> like. Yeah. Let's just say they sound like they're from a place that uh, France had subjugated previously. So. Uh. Jefferson Twilight is is this this is is this his first introduction? This is where you meet yes. Jefferson Twilight, yeah. and yeah. Uh, he's our like uh, I mean the first obvious uh, you know kind of point on the nose is, is the blade reference. Uh, he's like Black blade Runner. plus shaft. Yeah, and I mean he's got that like I mean I was gonna say obvious like black exploitation swagger. Uh, mm -hmm. Looks like a little like dolomite. And yeah, and if, and if you look at like '70s comic book Blade, like <laughs> bef like before Wesley Snipes, yeah, like he's got that he's got that kind of afro and like that kind of open shirt look to him and everything. This is a guy who saw The Empire Strikes Back and was like, you know, with a little more leather, Lando could be bopping. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they mentioned it in uh, the commentary tracks that the um, idea of Blackula hunters as actual people they've bumped into on the streets, it sort of chimed of that um, uh, Sergeant Hatred story about meeting the pervert at a coffee shop. They're like, they both had Blackula hunters that like frequented near where they lived and they were describing or one of them was just like, I saw a Blackula hunter. And he's like, oh my God. And then perfectly described what the other one had seen because there's a type. And he's like, blousey shirt, yep, leather, uh-huh, talks about, like, horoscopes and weird shit like that all the time, check. And uh, so apparently it's a type that runs around in certain necks of the woods, so uh, keep an eye out for Black Hill Hunters, I guess. Hey, can you, can you see that? Pretty. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, like that's, a, that's, a that's Blade's first appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Wooden steaks, not meat steaks. Yeah. <laughs> The, the man, the man called Blade, was born in a Soho brothel in Great Britain. There's, oh. your, there's your UK reference. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, Jefferson actually, Twilight. 
learned the most about Blade from the uh, History of the Marvel Universe series by Mark Wade. Because uh, oh yeah, like, yeah. I, I picked up Blade in the Midnight Sun, so it was always like I'd been I'd been reading the Triad incidentally, <laughs> but uh, like ironically, you know. Uh, okay, so talking about Blackula hunters, here's a question for you guys: Montel Williams, Blackula hunter, Blackula, or Blackula. I'm gonna go with a consensus seems to be Blackula. <laughs> okay, I mean, are, is it like are we are we talking like a blade situation where it's a Blackula hunting other Blackulas? Like half no, no, no. He, he's just or, a or daywalker, he just, dude. He's just a straight up daywalking Blackula. Yeah, like because think about it, dude. He's <laughs> hanging out with like uh, like fortune tellers. Uh, who's that one woman, Sylvia? that he had on a show all the time. Like he claims to be helping the police solve mysteries, but that's only so that he can lead them away from where the bodies are really buried. <laughs> okay. I want Steve Harvey as Blade taking on Montel <laughs> Williams. <laughs> John, you're making faces. You all right? Um, just, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm having thoughts here about, uh, Ooh, <laughs> I'm having I'm thoughts, thoughts about, about, uh, no, I'm having thoughts about where where um, where exactly Montel Williams' uh, multiple sclerosis diagnosis fits into this uh, thread about um, blackulas. That explains why I need so much plasma. Uh, maybe. Obviously, he's you know just hitting up the Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, orphan blood bank. Uh, mm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, uh, right. This has gone from funny joke to like way like we, we, we're going places with this. I don't the, know that we want to. That's go that's why I made the face because I'm like this. Do, do I want to bring this up? Do I want to say that something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this could this could really drag things down. Uh, so back to the episode, guys. <laughs> So uh, I'm not sure how much you, you've actually listened to a lot of our back catalog on episodes and stuff. Uh, one of the games I like to play mm. is uh, getting Savage to the point where he says the phrase, I'm really starting to question my involvement. Mm. <laughs> That's why I, I finished that sentence for you, because if I could get you to say that unprompted, that is amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you just got up a guild level. Well, well done, sir. Damn. <laughs> Guild level four now. I get to use the trucks. Woohoo! So Jefferson Twilight's hung down these blacklists. They're having this like fight, and uh Jefferson Twilight gets one down, and uh he's got his two fangs gripped in his fingers. He's like, you know, this is gonna hurt. Do you want me to cut your head off first? And then that's when Dr. O shows up, right? And Dr. O is like, hey, Jefferson. Jefferson's like, hey, Dr. O. And Jefferson is sitting there getting ready to yank the fangs out of this Blackula's mouth very painfully so that he can add the fangs to his necklace. When uh, the other Blackula behind him gets up and starts coming at him, but Dr. O shoots him down, saves the day. Dr. O, FTW. So Jefferson Twilight rips the fangs off of the guy, decapitates him, and he and Dr. O get to catch up. And it's like, what, you know, they haven't seen each other in 16 years and show, suddenly shows up and rescues my, what gives? You rescued my situation. Jefferson Twilight has a way with words. <laughs> rescued my whole situation. <laughs> beans. He's filled with beans. Ants. 
Oh, dude, I can't wait. Pirates. <laughs> so, Dr. Orpheus is making his, the reason for his visit very clear. He says, I'm here to extend an offer from the Guild of Calamitous Intent. And Twilight's just like, whoa, get out. Approval of brand name Arch Enemy? That took long enough, right? Like, and I love the idea that there's a brand name Arch Enemy. Like, you know, like there's a, there's a certain prestige to having an arch that other people might recognize. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like dating someone who's kind of famous. Uh, you know what? It, uh, we watched the Lego Batman movie last night. And oh, I feel like God. the relationship between the Joker and Batman is exactly the type of groundwork that was laid with the Venture Brothers. Like the arch villain and protagonist uh, dynamic is a lot like dating. You really want to get to know the other person I'm so that you can make their life more horrible. A lot of people. Yeah, you, you you can fight other people, but tell me what we have is special. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Orpheus and Jefferson Twilight are kind of like, you know, catching up a little bit. And Jefferson's like, okay, I'm in. What was it? You son of a bitch. I'm in. Right? Well, from there, we bounce over to the cocoon. 21 is constructing some fake guild arching IDs for himself and 24 so that they can be a team of supervillains. And essentially, they're going to try out for this new guild arching against what is going to be the Order of the Triad. Um, but what was it? Uh, like, he's essentially, they're making fake IDs. And 24 yeah. is like six foot, 130 pounds. 130 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> And well, Tony's like, no one reads it. You just flash it, right? Oh. So, well, uh, and coming off the uh, the twenty one twenty four blog, this shows Gary like used to have that like drive to go off without the monarch. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, we talk about where that goes, and you know that dissipates, but like you know this this unbridled like this is Hank level enthusiasm, like. Yeah. <laughs> dude when he comes back with like all the gear and shit the double like, dare stuff <laughs> and and exactly why jetpacks are a fucking bad idea we'll get there that's that's a whole discussion so 21 notes that they could do it way better than the monarch 24 notes that the monarch is very ruthless indeed uh the monarch has enlisted the company <laughs> of a professional uh companion lady um, of the night and <laughs> Yeah, but not like Blackula Lady of the Night. Like, no. <laughs> no. This is the kind of woman who in a few years has mournful breasts. So they are, uh, the monarch's in his bed and uh, the woman in his bedroom and this, uh, this professional is there with him. And he's trying to coach her on what to say and how to say it. And this whole exchange is hilarious and cringy and... <laughs> <laughs> we it, this had the entire staff dying in in studio the the this entire thing of like you're my king butterfly deeper my king but deeper my king deeper king butterfly butter king butterfly my butterfly king deeper oh my god <laughs> that was the funniest shit <laughs> funniest those d moments like that just 
it brought it brought the staff together in our in our own sort of like disbelief of how sick Jackson public humor was and we're just like we love this we are so we we just love this okay uh, <laughs> just to derail this for a half second but just in case we've already covered the episode or you don't happen to be on when we do cover it was there one joke that just killed the the the, the entire process of trying to make the episode like as soon as you saw that come back you were just the whole office just completely lost it oh my god um you know, two, there's two things I remember was, um, I don't remember the episode, maybe it was The Trial of the Monarch, or it was probably the episode where he was in jail doing the whole scared straight thing. I think it was that, I think it was that one. There's a, 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 a string of cursing that the monarch does that that's bleeped out when it was aired it's not bleeped out in the original audio and when the directors were working with it and it was playing in the studio over <laughs> the audio and we're all sitting there working and all of a sudden we're listening to the monarch going off <laughs> we all had to stop to see what was going on <laughs> like we were just like whoa what is happening here this is hysterical. Um, so that that was definitely one of them. And then the other one was um, when Brock wakes up to kill the guys who infiltrated the house and he's naked. Yeah. And, and is covered in their own blood. And then Dean points at him, naked. <laughs> um yeah, this the the storyboarder had a lot of fun drawing Brock's uh, package, <laughs> and uh, Korea had a lot of fun animating it. So they animated it. So when that came back, that thing was flapping around. <laughs> like his Killinger was just like dangling in the wind, and. Uh, that black bar was just there so that you didn't have to animate it. They actually animated it. They animated it. <laughs> and it, it had us around during the view for during the first viewing when that came back and we're we're in the viewing room checking it out. We were in stitches. Like, holy shit. <laughs> like Korea had fun with that. Like they had <laughs> somebody had a good day at work. Because so he was like all that, all that back experience on that hentai or whatever, yeah. like this is my, this is my time to shine. Hey, this is Toshi, my time to Toshi, shine. Get Toshi. He's the one who does all the bang. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but if you want like more of a, uh, like a tentacle thing, we're going to need to go with Hero on this one. Like, yeah. <laughs> Beast, can you say and, that uh, again? You know. I'm sorry, what? And, Beast, can you say that again? I was like, oh, if you want more. No, no, like, no. Deeper. Deeper. <laughs> deeper. Well, and that was actually one of the things that got me. Mechanical uh, things. No. <laughs> the first time you hear deeper, you're not sure about deeper. the context. Deeper. <laughs> King, but deeper. 
Did you see your face? <laughs> well, and also, oh my God. Just- I absolutely love when just Monarch just goes off on like real psychopath shit. <laughs> when he takes his robe off and he's like, I am the Minotaur. <laughs> goes full fucking red dragon on her. Yeah. Oh my God. I just love it. But we're not quite there yet. Uh, from the Monarch's uh, Lovenasium, we're going to bounce over to the Venture Compound, which is now crawling with strangers slash guild members. Um, Watch and Ward are in the conference room and are just fanboying out. Like, I can't believe we're in the conference room where the Treaty of Tolerance was signed. Like The real Dr. Venture. The real Dr. Venture. And Rusty is standing right there. And, uh, dude, it's just, it was so good. At like, oh man, he's a legend, the real Dr. Venture. And Rusty's standing right there. It's like, all right, okay, I see how this is. All right. Um, so, so I, I love, by the way, I love that like Watch was like, he's the reason I got into this business. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Venture is trying to keep everyone out of the labs. He's got some pretty inspus- impressive stuff in there. And Ooh. then Watch and Ward start cracking up. And like, Impressive. Yeah, we, we know you. We know there's nothing impressive down there. Uh, Dr. V asks where Orpheus is. Watch Ward tell him he's still assembling his team. And Venture comments that a team is awfully wimpy of Dr. O. So he's got to have a team. But you can hear. And actually, Michael Sendraclaus, to his credit, makes the jealousy really just drip from this. Like, he manages to get the, this series of conflicting emotions really really on point and uh of course yeah he's jealous he'd like to be part of a team he knows i mean and and he just got schooled in his own his own house yes he did yeah like the the you know uh watching ward came in and and metaphorically like you know shit on his you know kitchen table uh, and so now he's he's trying to save face, and of course because he you're, you're talking you're talking about Doctor Venture, right? Yeah, yeah, and and so okay, okay. I just want I just wanted to correct you on the uh, uh, you I think you said Mike Sander Nicholas or James Urbaniak. Oh, sorry, yep, James Urbaniak. So just uh, throw no, that in, throw that in there because I got confused sorry. who we were talking about. <laughs> But no, like you know, yes, sir. He's, trying, he's clearly trying to save face. You know, he's like, oh, uh, ignoring the fact that the only reason he's getting arched at all is because he's his dad's son. You know, it's, yeah. it's inherited wealth arching. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so he, he's trying to clearly like save face on that. Like, oh, you've got to have a team, <laughs> and uh, he's not classy enough to pull off like this smug '80s uh, country club attitude. So I mean, like the the jealousy just like pours out of his fucking. <laughs> but wouldn't his dad have been registered as a team team venture? Yeah. Like he's sneering at his own like legacy, basically. <laughs> this legacy that was thrust upon him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I mean, that's one of my favorite things that, that that shows up constantly in the show is how much you know he loves this lifestyle, but then like when you know confronted at any point like he's a victim of this lifestyle like this isn't what i chose like well and if you, whatever well if you want something done right he has to do it like <laughs> boy adventures what do you want 
One of the things I thought when you were talking about kind of getting owned in your own home, I thought was that Dr. V got owned like Private Schwa owned Hatred. Oh, oh. Poor, poor Hatred. Yeah. He like wanted to try that position, but she wouldn't even do it with him. That's just sad. You're going to watch this happen in your home, but it's is it really yours right now? Yeah. So uh, Dr. Orpheus is... Uh, trying to find the alchemist who uh is this also the first time that we meet the alchemist yep. yeah um how would you describe the character design of the alchemist like paunchy like he's like a uh gregorian monk a franciscan monk meets yeah. a Buffett fan yeah <laughs> oh, i like that later on in the the show uh you do find out he is actively dying his hair purple. <laughs> <laughs> like you've got Triana with like the, the gloves on behind him and stuff. Like uh no, I always wondered if there was a, another like uh kind of reference to uh the alchemist. Like if there was a like a pulp character somewhere that I just didn't know that they were pulling from. I don't know. Uh you know, that's a good question. Um I feel like he just kind of looks like he kind of looks like a generic, like, D&D template, you know, <laughs> with just, like, the robe and everything. And it's just like, what What does an alchemist look like? Like, that, that's just kind of what it is. <laughs> so. But I, I, I'm kind of curious to, to kind of look, look into that. How many dice rolls did it take to get his character design correct? <laughs> <laughs> I keep re-rolling short shorts. Like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to fly. <laughs> Who wears short shorts? I'll wear short shorts. Of course, the alchemist is like Byron Orpheus. You old salt. You old bag of salt crackers. <laughs> old bag of salt of crackers. I'm in. Right. So, uh, and then. We off screen, we hear a knock at the door. Let me twilight. He's like, I can't astral project because I'm not magic. Yeah, the door opens. Jefferson comes in and he's like, Knew it, still on that stool looking for the philosopher's stone. I see that. Mm -hmm, right there. I see that. Mm -hmm, right there. Yeah. And of course, the alchemist is like, The philosopher's stone is a metaphor for enlightenment. So, in a way, yes, I'm searching for it and the cure for AIDS. And then Dr. O is like, Noble, now I feel stupid for asking you this. And then Jefferson interjects with, so you're still, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I, I love well, I love the way you deliver that line was the actual intention with how it was delivered. Like, you know, uh, Dana Snyder put like a, a very thoughtful, like, you know, yes, in the cure for AIDS. But you made it sound the way he intended it, like in the cure for AIDS. <laughs> Like, yeah, what have you been doing, Jefferson Twilight? <laughs> nice necklace you got there. Is that does that do, do your magic teeth cure diabetes? How's that nickel nips addiction going? <laughs> so Dr. O was gonna ask him to join. Um well, actually, I'm sorry. Jefferson's like, are you still, you know? And then I'm just like, no, nah, I grew out of that. It's just a phase. And, no, of course I am. Right? <laughs> of course he's still gay. <laughs> like, I, 
like, I haven't seen you in 15 years. Are you still gay? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So Dr. O is like, we're thinking about reforming the order of the triad. We've been approved for an arch villain. The Optimus is like, great, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Uh, Dr. O is like, what are your most important work? The Optimus is like, I need this publicity, you know, nothing gets people to the corner like you're that hero crap. And Dr. O turns to Jefferson Twilight's like, see? Jefferson's like, well, I'm here, aren't I? And uh, yeah. And then they start talking about how they're putting on weight. So from there, we get back to the venture compound. Hank and Dean are bored. They're in the room. Well, Hank is. Dr. B comes in, tells Hank he needs to speak to Dean alone. Hank doesn't want to leave. Dr. Venture tells Hank to go wash his face. He'll end up all gross and pimply. <laughs> Do you want to look like Edward James almost? Or, or, F- or F. Murray Abraham. I love, I love how horrified Hank is at the notion. Well, dude, it, like, it reminded me of, um, uh, what is it? Uh, the family that slays together. Yes. Rock just like yelling, Busey! <laughs> <laughs> Seatbelts, Busey! <laughs> A cautionary tale for the modern era. So... Edward James almost could have like a an acme treatment called stand and deliver. Oh, because you're in front of the mirror, like <laughs> instead of a instead of a tube of cream, it's a baseball bat. <laughs> Our special sponge, whack. whack. It's yeah, the, the sponge is just like steel wool and it comes with cassette tape of him like reading you the riot act like <laughs> I expect better out of you. Like you could do so much better. You're gonna come up out of this. <laughs> uh, oh dude. So uh Dean he tells Dean that he wants him to watch Triana. Dr. O asked Dr. Venture, but Dr. V doesn't want to do it. So it's like, I want you and Hank to entertain her today. Triana, so you want us to put on a show for her? (laughs) 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 Tried that one time. That didn't go over well. Nothing impresses a girl you like more than period theater. When you say period theater. Hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) I smell what you're stepping in. Wow. So uh, Dean tries to run away. Dr. V pulls him back. Dr. V's like, I thought you would react this way. Now sit down and let me explain something that every boy your age has known for like. (laughs) (laughs) And hands down, the best montage in the entire show. Oh, dude. Can you walk us through this montage beast? So it starts playing like some generic smooth jazz music. Da-da-da. Dun, dun, dun. and he's like making you know gestures uh he's grabbing dean's hand and putting it on his chest and feeling his heartbeat and then you see him like taking the clown lamp and another doll and like humping them together <laughs> and then when it comes out of montage into direct dialogue he's, like going on about like tawny <laughs> anderson or is it tawny anderson Tawny yeah, Tawny Katane going uh, like breaking up White Snake. It's like there she was, just writhing on the hood. What was David Coverdale supposed to do? <laughs> and and that's why they broke up White Line, White Snake, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the birds and the bees works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, 
Uh, well, uh, and let's I, back I, up just a second. That's why both Brock and I laid the blame squarely on Tani's hot, silky shoulders. Now let that be a lesson to you. And, well, and I love about that. what? <laughs> I love that his like lesson about the birds and the bees ends with him like blaming a like woman for ruin. Right. And then Dr. V wraps it up with, I'm glad we had this talk. Right. It's like, bro, you this explains so much about you. Right. So back of the cocoon, 21 is showing 24 the spoils of war. Jetpacks they've stolen from Sergeant Hatred, who does appear later in this episode with a very different character design than what we're used to. Um, so Hatred 21 is like, all right, you tell me you don't want to fly into some chick's window, all super cool with me with a three-day beard and a fucking jetpack. Everyone's like, granted, that is kind of sweet. It is so sweet. We'll need costumes. Got them, and they are so leather. It's I'm going to be totally flying into some hot chick's bedroom. Oh, totally. And she'll be dating the good guy, and I'll come in and be like, I'll spare his life, but only for you, sugar pants. Sugar pants. <laughs> and the two was like, dude, and then you will have sex. You will be having sex. Sex! <laughs> you know, legit, like, straight talk, uh, I think I had this conversation with a friend in middle school in, like, fifth grade. Like, bro, if we, like, if jetpacks were real... <laughs> we would Swoop use the them windows. yeah we would use them to get chicks and then we would be having sex dude real total sex like in the vagina and everything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh i love the way that everything came after the vagina <laughs> it is how i do it so I love that we have gotten variations on the talk from two different scenes so far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And we're about to get a third because the monarch is who we are seeing next. And he has finished his business with the professional. He tells her he's left money on the nightstand for her. She asks if he can give her directions to Liberty Why Street. are we afraid to say prostitute? I mean... We're going to have to eventually. <laughs> right. I was like, we keep dancing around it. Like, I mean, we're not even going with like sex worker. And that's pretty PC these days. You're like professional. Dude, this is not fucking uh, Leon, the professional. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Jean Renault. Wouldn't that have been awesome if that was his job? <laughs> Jean Renault. Male gigolo, professional. I mean, there's gonna be there's gonna be an episode where we're all gonna be screaming the word yeah. <laughs> the entire what time, blurting it out. What to do? What to do? <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna be like that annoying child who Bitch just like something. just discovered some new word that he can't stop saying. So. I, I I have to I have to say I just um you guys got me really curious about this alchemist thing. <laughs> That's what you were looking for? So yeah. I went for my reference. There you go. Yeah. So episode twenty one Fallen Arches. Right, twenty one, yeah. So Doc Hammer says this is where we first see the alchemist and and uh, Jefferson Twilight. 
So he says, I always wanted the alchemist to look like one of the inquisitors from Ken Russell's The Devils, which is kind of what he looks like now, but with a long face, very long nose, and that ridiculous bowl haircut. He got a little paunchier with a little crappier posture because of Dana Snyder does the voice. He becomes a little nebishy. Dana just takes over the character, so some of his physicality gets in. So there you go. Ken Russell's The Devils. I'll have to look that one up. 1971. Oh, yeah. All right. There are some sexy nuns in that film. <laughs> is that right? Uh, are, uh, while you're is... on IMDb, are you seeing any sexy damn Freddy Kruegers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a scene here and, uh, in a nun's habit, uh, upside down and naked with the habit stretching out. Uh, it downright acrobatic in front of the altar. And I'd like to point out that the word acrobat is waking, making its way into this episode way more than I ever intended. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you were saying about uh, the monarchs uh, making the speech or the talk rather. Is that right? Yes. Um, so the monarch goes into the speech about how peril awaits her. And he is the mighty Minotaur. And this is where we get our full uh, red dragon. Mm -hmm. Hear me, Theseus! Yeah. We got some storyboards in the book from that scene. Got now, the did you nice. storyboards for this one, too? Uh, I did storyboards for this episode. Yeah, so there's stuff I did that's, that's uh, spattered about the whole uh, episode. Uh, now... There's definitely some stuff there with Torrid in the bathroom. There's definitely some stuff during the uh, whole uh, uh, auditions, the villains' auditions, and things like that. So this is one of those episodes where I was I was working revisions, so I was like all over the episode at various places, but like nothing like heavy. Got it. You were yeah. Johnny on the spot. <laughs> there you go. As this, like, this scene right here is one of the most memorable monarch scenes. Yeah. And can you give us a little insight into how this scene, I mean, the, the reference is very clear, but how did this kind of, like, play out? Like, what was it that made this scene so necessary for the episode? I mean... It, it for me, I mean, for for a lot of us, it just it it, it, it came as a big surprise to us as it did <laughs> probably a lot of the viewers of just like I think we just it, it just reminds us um, how batshit insane the monarch really is, and and just how. Uh, ruthless he can be i think i think that's even what 2024 says about him is, is ruthless well and um, i love that uh to me i love all the, the implications of it so like we've got battle mode and that's magenta and we know that that's magenta but it's somewhere on like the mode list he's like prostitute mode <laughs> like, like six levels just become like torture gauntlet yeah <laughs> i think it, i think i think also that the whole thing just says so much about his relationship with with dr girlfriend um that 
you know, nobody can replace her and, and, and goes, you know, comes even close to, you know, touching that, that situation, you know, that relationship. And like, he really just does not care about any human being other than her. <laughs> you know, my, the, the thing that gets me the most about this section isn't actually the revelation of the giant Minotaur tattoo on his back. It's that he says the cocoon has witnessed her sins. <laughs> well, first off, uh, I'm pretty sure that that's not like a, that like whole like Minotaur tattoo is one big like fake tattoo. So he has like, you know, uh, some hench people like lay it down on his back, wash it down like with sponges, peel it off. And he has to sit there for a little bit like it dry so it doesn't wrinkle up on the skin. Uh, like, I don't think that's a whole, like, that can't be a real back tattoo. I think we see his back later on and it's not there. So to me, that's a giant temporary tattoo. But like, I do like the idea that he sees, like, in his, like, psychotic mind, the cocoon is a witness. <laughs> like, the cocoon has witnessed your sins, like. So if the cocoon can be a witness, could it also be a peer? Does he, does he maybe have a single peer? <laughs> <laughs> like, one peer? Like, that's why he gives, peers? That's not my <laughs> cocoon. <laughs> you know what just occurred to me? That Minotaur tattoo is actually a do-over. That's not his original tattoo. It started off as just the female reproductive system. But like once he got out of college, he was like, no, I got to get this covered up. So that's when it became the Minotaur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So for we were... <laughs> the pickup lines you would have to have with a giant reproductive system on your back. Like, don't worry, I got you on my back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, they're all terrible. <laughs> Talk yeah. about period I, pieces. I, I, oh. <laughs> I've, got, I've got you on my back because you're about to be on yours. Oh, that's as uh, bad as slick as it's going to get. What was it in Marilyn Manson's autobiography, Long Hard Good Place to Start? Uh, if, you, uh, if you meet somebody and they have your name tattooed on you, like, or they have, yeah, their name tattooed, your name tattooed on them, having sex with them is just a courtesy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, wait, anybody that you want to sleep with, just go and get their name tattooed on you, and then you're just. <laughs> So what you're really saying is there's hope. <laughs> you're just encouraging more men to get face tattoos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, dude, it's going to be like after a while, uh, it's just going to be full on uh, water world where they have to like do the micro tattooing and like splay it out. Like they've got a phone book of girls' names. <laughs> uh, I thought you meant that the earth was just going to be one of the greatest flops of all time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of flops, the trap door opens up and our <laughs> prostitute drops levels there you go. into a pit of horror. Um, and then a, la a labyrinth. Yeah, a labyrinth. A minotaur's labyrinth. Indeed. <laughs> um, we come back for commercial to the venture compound. 
there is the intangible fancy who was also in tag sale you're it is talking with uh another villain named torrid they're discussing costumes uh intelligible fancy intangible fancy says he can't wear costumes and genitals which intangible fancy also does not have anymore torrid sees dr v's lab he's like i've got to go do something torrid and you're thinking okay he's gonna go like arch like these are arch villains right uh so from there we're in the meeting room and dr o jefferson twilight the alchemist are interviewing a guy in a scuba outfit he's not getting a call back what do you uh you steer with that little fin on your head or (laughs) (laughs) no uh that was probably one of my favorite parts of the episode is the the villain interviews yeah uh, so one of the things I'm, I'm kind of kicking around that might be a, a learning bed is uh, the magical realism of, of the Ventureverse. So it's one of the things I really enjoy in my literature, like shit like Neil Gaiman, Douglas Adams, right? And, and the thing about magical realism is it folds itself into absurdity, right? So you have these guys doing a run-of-the-mill interview for somebody to constantly fucking harass them and they have to be good enough to harass them like there's got to be like a a personality click like they got to be the right person for the job and on the surface like you are made to feel this is a normal thing and you don't realize like you know just the the absurdity of it until you you take that step back and you're like you're you're interviewing people with like super science accidents and deformities and <laughs> passing judgment on them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's a little bit, it, imagine like if you were like P.T. Barnum and you're trying to staff your next act. It's like, no, no, I'm sorry. You, you've got too, too many legs. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm sorry, like for a bearded woman, like you're only sporting a goatee. I can't. Yeah, exactly. Like it's <laughs> I've not, already got the signs made. Yeah, I, I don't think this is going to work out. Like it's the bearded woman, not the mullet chopped woman. <laughs> oh, oh sorry, not not mullet chop, mutton chop, mullet chops, dude, mullet chops. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like chops that are all business up front, but party in the back, <laughs> like, man. <laughs> Real clean cut here, but really long down here. I'm on it. All right, here, we, like we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, just keep that all shaped up tight, but then down here, yeah. just gotta let it flow. Like you, you got the fade, but then it looks like you uh, like got in a fight with an Orthodox Jewish person, <laughs> like on the way in, and you're just like I'm taking these. Like Shepherds <laughs> and Twilight takes vampire fangs. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, uh, I heard Kazakhstan actually canceled the running of the Jew this year. I heard something similar. They're running something else, I believe. Oh yeah, the the, the running of the American. Pew pew pew. <laughs> <laughs> Finger guns. Ah, very good, very nice. Uh, so I was like, you know what? The worst thing that 2020 could do for us is just bring everybody doing the Borat voice back. My wife. <laughs> Very nice. Everybody's just saying my wife. <laughs> right. So 
Meanwhile, we bounce over to Hank, who's wearing a dress, squeezing his pimples, and this made me so <laughs> uncomfortable. Comes out like it comes out like easy cheese. And Time to get back on the benzoyl peroxide train. <laughs> and it just stays on his face for the rest of the episode. Like it's awful. It's awful. Ugh. God, it's bad. Is it, I, like I, that's the same reaction I had when they were doing like uh, when he had Dean pinned down and he was doing like the milk spit and then drops <laughs> it like oh milk breath. <laughs> so uh, Hank is wearing a dress. He heads into the bathroom to grab some benzoyl peroxide, but Torrid's on the can. He's like he, Hank's coming in, he's, and Torrid's like, "Oh, don't even knock, right?" And then Hank comes in, the toilet paper catches fire. Thorin pulls up his pants and disappears in a huge blue flame right as Hank comes into view. And all that remains is a foul, foul stench. Uh, we then head over to 21 and 24, who are testing out their new arch-villain personas. Can you explain the character design here and what's, what, what's going on? <laughs> well, you know, uh, they made the reference earlier to leather costumes, you know, so <laughs> of course we cut, we cut to them and, and 24 is complaining about how they're not leather, but they're, they are, and 21 explains to him they are leather-like <laughs> in the elbow pads. It's just, it's the, just the elbow pads. No, he, he, he has... He has caught, he has these jumpsuits that he got from Double Dare, <laughs> which have these ridiculous props on the head. One's like a hand that like probably catches balls that were like falling from some sort of contraption, and the other's a bucket. Yeah, <laughs> and they've one got was, one was the throwing hand. The oh, other the throwing hand. Throwing. Okay. Yeah. No, no, uh, Savage and, knows exactly and, what these are for. And not uh, just Double Dare, Family Double. Family Double Dare. All right, and they've got gack stains all over them, and uh, yeah, and they are they are going to be Jet Boy and Jet Girl because <laughs> it's a damn song. I love that. Well, the damn the damn did, did it. So where's the where's the song come from originally? Because the damn did a cover of it. Yeah, he says. Yeah. Um, so it's originally a track by Elton Motello, and it's about a 15-year-old boy's sexual relationship with an older man who then rejects him for a girl. Wow. So it's the same backing track as the plastic Bertrand's Ça plan pour moi. Ça plan pour moi. Right? Same track. Same exact track. Uh, so, but a few months before the vocals for Ça plan pour moi were recorded, the record firm use the same backing track with the same musicians to release Jet Boy and Jet Girl. And then Alan Ward recorded his in English and then The Damned did their version. Which is where, you know, most Americans picked it up. Right. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a really cool fucking reference. And, and The Damned is a way cooler name. Yes. Put <laughs> up in The Damned. And that leads. That's great. That's a great exchange. 
yeah, like this argument, like we could be Jet Boy and Jet Girl. And he's like, no, but it's a, it's so, it's a song by the Damned, our hipster cred. He's like, we should just be the Damned. <laughs> I, I even, I even, I'm even gonna let you be Jet Boy. <laughs> dude their costumes are so like it's red family double dare jumpsuits with these awful helmets that they they've got knee pads on but they do have jet packs and they do have jet packs which leads to one of my favorite little voice acting moments (laughs) well and i love when when they test these jet packs out and 24, yeah. He's like, it's like, my shoe is on fire. And then he goes off screen and you can hear him in the distance. My shoe is on fire. <laughs> I, I, I live, I live for off screen voice acting. <laughs> it cracks me up. <laughs> I, uh, I Future, Futurama has a lot of it. Like Billy West does like a lot of really great off-screen voice acting moments that just kill me. Well, I love the, because the, you don't uh, get like killed by the the, uh, the the animating on them. Do, 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 is it possible because you get to just purely enjoy that as entertainment because you have no work necessarily to be done in that moment? It's not even about me doing any work. Yeah, it's just it's just, yeah, it's just hearing. It's just hearing it. And yeah, just just being able to just zero in on just the voice acting alone, and just you know having that that moment of of awareness of just like oh my god, that was just such a funny line, <laughs> and you know just 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 I don't know everything about it uh, just just cracks me up, and it's usually just something so ridiculous. <laughs> Because you're just picturing what's happening. Yeah. You know, without the actual visual. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, did they do any of that uh, in post on the show that you know of with this one? Because I've heard in a lot of things, they'll be like 90% of the way done with a product and or a project. And then they'll be like, uh, you know, we got to punch this up. We got to add in a little bit of funny. Is there anything off camera we could add dialogue wise so we don't have to animate anything, but maybe just freeze frame it a little longer to give it that moment? Uh, sure. Do they ever do things like that with Venture Brothers? I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't doubt it, but I certainly wasn't that close to the editing process. Gotcha. That was that was definitely way further down the line from where I was at. I mean, I would get the voice tracks that would be kind of rough cut, but things definitely got cut for time and just trimmed for tightness and trimmed for you know making it work for the laugh in the moment so you know that that stuff definitely that was all doc and and jackson doing their thing i've always appreciated it when it's trimmed for tightness trimmed for tightness (laughs) well and see. <laughs> Speaking of, man, I don't know how I got into this. I don't know how I what was that? I don't know how you I agreed to this. <laughs> Speaking of making the cut, that's what she said. <laughs> Easiest. Speaking of making the cut. Uh, we've got at back of the compound. Jefferson is being really honest about his skill set. When he says, 
Yes. I only hunt blackulas. <laughs> <laughs> and he's talking to the fish creature. He's like, oh, so you only hunt African-American vampires? <laughs> Travis is like, no, sometimes I hunt British vampires. They don't have African-Americans in England. Okay, and weird point that this has always kind of made me think about. I've never, I mean, I'm sure it's a term used at some level somewhere. In all my time in England, I never heard British Africans. Right. That like, like maybe to describe them quickly as like an immigrating group currently, right. or like historically referencing when they may have moved from Africa. Africa. But the idea that like as a black kid today in England, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, our small following and whole go whole. Um, oh. I, 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 it's one of those ones where it's just such an American thing to me. Right. The, the, the idea of that phrasing. Um, you also see it with like Afro-Cuban, right? Or like, so you'll see it in the Caribbean and you'll also see it in South America. Okay. Like, like Afro-Indian, right? So you'll see these, because like, for instance, one of my favorite music genres is called Chutney and it's African and Caribbean rhythms with Indian Bollywood melodic and vocal patterns. It's super fast and super awesome. Sounds like Mr. Bungle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if Mr. Uh, uh, who's only on my mind because they just put out their new record, their yeah. their uh, thrash metal demo from when they were twenty. <laughs> yeah, so no, I've been I've been listening to that hardcore the last few days. It's like if Mr. Bungle played the sitar. Right. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, go. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, kind of absurdities that 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 uh, Jefferson is is pointing out <laughs> in, in, in this dialogue. I don't know what the PC name for that is. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what the PC. PC I, don't I don't know what the PC name for that is. Dude, and I would love to see that scene where he's like, "Hey, man, before we do this, and I, you know, yank out your teeth, cut off your head, like." What's the PC term for like black vampires in England? He's like, what are you talking about? We're black <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, be before I murder you, <laughs> like, what is the like, how do you self identify? <laughs> like, like, I know this isn't going to do you, you any good personally. I'm just really hoping to be more PC toward blackulas that I kill in the future. You understand? Right. 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 <laughs> So they are obviously not going to connect very well with Fish Guy. So we bounce over to Hank and Dean's room. Uh, <laughs> mask? Well, yeah, yeah I, I, I like the joke about the asking if that's a mask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what we were talking about, that, that idea of, uh, quote unquote, the venture brand of magical realism, like right. could be legitimate fish dude or yeah. could be legitimate rubber mask. Like flip a coin. Both yeah. are, are plausible here. It's right. a gimmick or a deformity. No, I mean he's not deformed. Like he's he's just fishified. He he's a pescatarian. He's you like he's like Aquaman. Yeah, well, and of <laughs> course, like who is the venture the the team venture guy from Atlanta? Auto Aquarius. Auto Aquarius. The Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. <laughs> Born again or, or some such, yeah. yeah. 
So we've got Hank. That, damn, that just triggered my PTSD on the show. <laughs> Why is that, John? Because there's a sequence, there's a sequence I drew that was him like walking through a really in-depth background that was like in heavy perspective. And it's just like one of those sequences that's just like um like we're drawing everything and like we're drawing budget animation with like deep space 3D backgrounds. <laughs> and it was like at a point in time, I think during season three, when like just the show is getting intense, the schedule is getting intense, the number of characters is getting intense. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was kind of towards the end of my time on the show. And it was just like starting to be just too much. And it's just like, they're trying to get like, they're trying to direct a live action movie. It feels like <laughs> it's just like, uh, I just want to cry trying to draw all this and make this character walk down these, these steps in perspective. And uh, I just, that's, that's what, I, that's what that character triggers in me. <laughs> so is not the thing to get you for Christmas this year. <laughs> I mean, I, he's still, he's still a funny character. Oh, it's, either, it's either Ruth Bader Ginsburg ornament or Otto Aquarius ornament. I need you to tell me now. Mm, mm. Can't go wrong with the notorious one. Notorious <laughs> RPG. <laughs> so it was all a dream. Okay, so then would you say that when they finally hit the point that they went with um, digital animation, it was purely out of necessity then for continuing on the way that they wanted to go on? Probably. It, it yeah. just sort of probably hit a point with them where they were just like, it just purely makes more sense to go the other way. Yeah. I I've mean, always I... been kind of curious because it was so many shows made sort of weird jumps at that point with just the... Um, whatever that change in format was i feel like uh with the tvs back in 99 2000 whatever that was a lot of shows decided to really up their quality and everything and i was like okay maybe it was just like a trickle down effect and that was when the venture brothers got kind of an extra bump uh visually because that was just sort of the seeming trend among animated projects or if it was just them being like to get these angles and the motion we want and the X, Y, and the Z, we've just got to make the jump over, essentially hitting the the, the South Park conundrum. Yeah, uh, and you probably uh, had a lot of artists who were starting to experiment with it on other shows out of requirement. Like, um, you know, I knew, I knew guys who were working on like Star Wars Rebels at the time and they were doing a lot of, we talked about it in, in, in our other, discussion where we were talking about the idea of previs where people are animating 2d characters over 3d backgrounds mm -hmm. um for continuity's sake like i was our, i was at that time i was i was just thinking in my mind like oh wouldn't it just be cool to like build a 3d model of of this background like dr venture's lab because we draw it so often just as a reference so that we could turn it around and like look at what it looks like from every angle so we can just draw it off off that reference and then that just naturally escalates to like finding its way the model itself into the board 
you know, which finds its way naturally, like finding its way working into the show eventually. I think it's just a natural progression of, of moving technologies and, and artists' um, curiosity. You know, I think it's just one of the, the one of the things that just happens is artists. When you have a team of artists on a show, um, the artists are just naturally interested in trying things. And uh, whether it becomes a necessity or not, like it just becomes something that they're maybe just touring, toying around with in, in their off time and they come back the next day and they're like, I figured something out. Let's try this, you know, and then they're like, okay, that that, that kind of works. Let's let's keep going. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of, so where are we at? On. Going on, going keep down. Things seem a little dicey. Trimming it, keeping it tight. Uh, <laughs> period people. We've got. We've got. We've got, we've, we've got. got. Deeper. We've got. <laughs> we've got. We've got. We, we've got. Deeper. 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 So, <laughs> so, Dean and Brock are putting on a play for Triana. That's how they're going to entertain her. She is clearly unimpressed reading a magazine. Brock <laughs> reads a line. Brock's, now, Brock's wearing a tuxedo, if I'm not mistaken. Brock is such a good sport for these boys. <laughs> Dean is also in a dress. How much does he love these boys? For yeah. real. Dude, that, that, I, I, they're the daughters he never had. <laughs> I honestly, that is the perfect thing to say right there, because I always saw this as like, the cute little girl dressing up like the Rottweiler and like making it have like tea with him. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is, yeah. What you imagine like the rock looks like doing like tea time with his daughter, yeah. like this hunched over, <laughs> like, you know, huge. Yeah. And, uh, a, you know, a lady Windermere's fan is a uh, play by Oscar Wilde. So we get Oscar Wilde, uh, you know, reference there, which is, uh, you know, a part of the uh, the doc Creative Commons. That's what it's a part of. <laughs> it is part of Creative Commons, also. Yeah, uh, but no, uh, like you know, Doc Hammer has his whole uh, you know Gothic uh, literary fetish and all that such. So I mean, anytime he can work that in there, and I love it. Like I'm not going to you know besmirch him that at all. Um, I'm, I'm that kind of pretentious. Uh, now, what was interesting was when I was checking this. There is Ladies Windermere's fan, but that's not the first thing that came up was Lady Windermere's syndrome. And I oh. want to know what that is. A <laughs> uh, pattern of pulmonary, um, something about elderly white women who chronically suppress a normal cough reflex. <laughs> that's literally okay. Like when you Google it, there's a bunch of words that I'm not going to try to say because uh, I've been awake wait, since like wait, 4 a.m. It's Let pronounced it's mycobacterium avium complex. Uh, infection typically seen in elderly white women who chronically suppress the normal cough reflex. Well, okay. Um, we so, can try and look into why this name makes sense, but I'd kind of rather not. 
no nah, no nah, i'm good i just saw lady <laughs> windermere syndrome and i was like uh is this where you make people put on dresses and act out? <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? It's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome, but for bodyguards and tea party. <laughs> so uh, I, here's my other question, which is, would you say that Doc Hammer is Lady Windermere's biggest fan? Oh. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, Brock. Hey, you did. Brock. You did say you're a dad, right? Oh, I, three three times over, boss. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> However, I, I was making the same jokes when I was twelve, and twenty-one. Uh, uh, that uh, you know, and I gotta tell you, man. Uh, like the pun is one of my favorite joke forms. Like I just, I'm a huge fan of it. <laughs> I had a friend in college who, who who was dropping a lot of puns for a period of time. <laughs> he used to love to torture me with it because he could just he would he would drop it and then look at me and just see my desire to murder him. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he would just he would just be looking for opportunities left and right, and I'd just be like, "No, puns if he, are." If he chose to go that direction, puns are good, uh, comedic sadism. You don't tell puns because they're funny. None of them are fucking funny. What's yeah, funny are. is the awful reactions that they have. Like that puns. shit rejuvenates me. Like, puns are brilliant and hilarious. Uh, have I ever told you guys my uh, really old doctor's terrible bad pun? The only joke he ever made. Um, so he would walk in with a. I, I work in a vet, the vet industry. I, he would walk in with an animal. Uh, never told jokes, never really smiled, never really laughed. He was in his 70s. He was just an old guy. He would walk in, he would put the animal down, and he would just look at somebody and go, you're in trouble. And we would just be like, what? What's going on? And he's all like, it's got a UTI. And then we, he would just go walk away. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, you're in trouble. Okay, motherfucker. Yeah. Guy's got jokes. He hides it, but he's got jokes. Wow. <laughs> One of my all-time favorites is when when is how do you know a joke is a dad joke when it's a parent? Oh, oh. I didn't. dude, that is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean it's not cringeworthy. Like, when is the door not the door? That is so good. That <laughs> is so good. Uh, Audrey Audrey Hartburn came back from work one day. Uh, that's uh, the host of our Venture Sisters podcast. And she, had, yeah, uh, she had done like a, a great pun at work, and she was so proud she had to come home and tell me. <laughs> they have different shifts at work, and the shift that works two days has a day off, and then works two other days is called donut shift because it has a hole in it. Um, and somebody was talking to like one of the employees, and like, "Well, I'll see you tomorrow." Uh, no, you won't. I won't be here. And Cordy looks over and says. She do not work tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> God. That's solid. That's, that's, that's well. What was even better was like two days later when I got to burn her with the same. I'm not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, actually, I will be right back. I gotta get some water. <laughs> so, we've got Brock in his tux. We've got Dean in his dress. Make putting on this play, which makes Hank wearing a dress make a lot more sense. And then Dean gets very upset 
and yells at Hank for missing his cue. Hank informs that he's in the bathroom and it smells like gunpowder threw up poo-poo eggs. And Brock decides this is my cue to exit. And much to Dean's disdain because he, as he calls out for Brock, wait, you can't leave. You're also Lady Agatha. <laughs> There, ladies, have you ever been in the field and felt the need to yield to a panty shield? Not me. I'm Amber Gold, OSI super agent and full-time woman. New from Voop comes menstruation munitions, the only tampon with both civilian and military applicators. Guaranteed to hold a full quart of Aunt Flo's Bloody Mary mix. Hey, babe, could you reach in my pack and grab me one of those boot menstruation munitions? Uh, seriously, babe? On the rag in the field? Uh, fine. Here, is this one of them? I, I, I don't know where anything is in your purse, lady. Just take, take this. No, babe. I need one of the 12, babe. It's a heavy blow off. Oh, come on. This is why I never do... Missions with women in the woods. Bears. Voop comes in a variety of calibers made for any size chamber. And because they're made by Voop, they're ribbed for her pleasure. And bear proof. Find all new Voop menstruation munitions at your local gun store, trade show, pawn shop, flea market, Underland, Hanko, or Texas. Thanks to Voop, I've got menstruation munitions ready to lock and load. Now I'm ready to send my enemies to hell on a river of blood. Theirs, not mine. Mm. Gross. So from there, we're over at the meeting room where the triad are looking at another potential arch. Uh, I believe now this is the second time we've seen Curse, who we saw earlier, not Chris, Curse, who has magic and stuff. Uh, they surround him in preparation for their test fight. And Jefferson's like, I think we give him the old Rochambeau. And the alchemist says, paper, rock, scissors? Orpheus is like, wait, uh, what does a general from the American Revolution have to do with this? Okay. <laughs> this uh, string of like, jokes is like, when you talk about wordplay and word jokes, this like string of jokes is fucking gold. Yes, it is. <laughs> American Revolution, Rochambeau sounds French to me. Well, yes, the Franco-American. Yes, the Franco-American forces. Spaghettios and meatballs. <laughs> you're gonna give me shit about puns, and then like, nah, man, nah. Like this is great. Well, why would somebody who makes Franco? Why would somebody, Why would a company called Franco-American make Italian food? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh. So, the curse who is inspired by this discussion, charges Dr. O with a stab. And Dr. O says a spell that makes the curse's legs disappear. Then the alchemist does another spell that removes his arms. And of course, as the curse slides across the floor over to Jefferson, who pins him with his foot and puts his sword up to his neck. His neck. The alchemist is like, gentlemen, that ruled. Was this the Rochambeau? <laughs> Jefferson's like, no. Dr. O says, and I love this delivery. No, but it really should be. It should be. <laughs> right. The 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 alchemist spell, like the 
where his voice goes when he does that spell oh, is God. so weird. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what it was like? Did, did you ever watch Eyes Wide Shut? No. <laughs> watch it. I lived it. <laughs> Except for, like, this version was in a trailer part. <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot of. I think, I think you have a few things to work out. Uh, you've got a few things to explain, like principally, like so. In Eyes Wide Shut, everyone was in formal attire. What was everyone like? What was the get up, if you will, at the get down? Uh, I got. I got to imagine they were wearing those tuxedo T-shirts. Okay. Okay. So, well, you yeah, know, I mean, uh, tuxedo T-shirt. A redneck tuxedo occasionally uh you know like uh you know the the bib overalls right the the jean bib overalls um knowing and... your crowd it was bib overalls with starfleet uniform tops underneath <laughs> and mullets mullets as far as the eye can see mullet chops mullet chops <laughs> dude that sounds like some sort of like redneck pi who uses karate <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a, that almost sounds like a mullet, like, put into, like, pigtail, ponytail type situation. It's a duo. It's mullet and chops. It's like the redneck and the, uh, like, Asian sidekick pairing. It's like the green hornet for the the new generation. Chops. Mullet and chops. Mullet and chops. It's always it's a seventies cop show. There's always an ethnic buddy. Like I can't help that stereotype. Actually, this sounds like a Nickelodeon pitch to me. Okay. Mullet and chops. Like are they like the two dogs? Like Cartoon Network. I I think it's got to be like two just unexpected, bizarre animals that are friends. Mullet. So mullet is an echidna. Chops is a goldfish that lives in a bowl on the echidna's back. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mullet, the world's feistiest echidna. Yeah. Chops, a goldfish who's lived long past his life expectancy and trained at the foot of a rat in the New York City sewer system. Yeah. And like that so-called Cal Arts style that everybody like likes to pretend like they hate and everything, but like every show has done that style now. You know, I, I gotta tell you, like, I, I saw a really impassioned defense of the stupidity of, or I'm sorry, not a defense, a really impassioned attack against the idea of calling it Cal Art style. Because while you may see that style pop up very frequently, it is easy to animate and you can't necessarily take a multimedia like powerhouse, like, uh, like, um, oh God, bless, um, Darwin and Bubblegum. Right? Uh, what is the name of the show? Gumball? No. Gumball. Not, not no. Bubble, Gumball. Gumball and Darwin, right? Like they have that design, but everybody else is like 3D rendered or like all yeah, this yeah. other stuff. Like that you, you can't apply that there. Uh, like Steven Universe, the person who did Steven Universe didn't even go to Cal. Yeah, I was going to say um, something along those lines. I mean, half the team on Steven Universe actually worked on Venture Brothers um, or was related to people who worked on Venture Brothers. And a lot of them came from School of Visual Arts in New York. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of a ridiculous, ridiculous thing. Um, but, you know, to that point, the the notion of um, American animation being able to do some of the same things that, like, say, Japanese animation does with their hand-drawn um like that went away when disney shut down their hand-drawn studios down in florida and started making all their films in 2d because the whole pipeline for how people learned to do 2d just kind of like and and got into that as a professional and had like you know a career path for that just disappeared and it it really killed things for animators so yeah i'll go off on a tangent here but you know to be able to to create 2d animation uh to keep it simplified is 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 important well, and I always assumed that that drawing style was a function of how the work was being done, not yeah. necessarily a choice, uh, like an artistic choice in order to achieve a certain aesthetic. Like the yeah. the form, de- the function determined the form, not the other way around. Yeah, I think it's a combination, but it's definitely part of it for sure. So a, big, a big factor. Now, what's really, really interesting that- is uh, I didn't realize this until like, I mean, and I was into adult animation and generally speaking, cartoons, and then we started doing this podcast, and you, you get a little more into to niche things, is how well-versed, like, uh, the younger generations are about the ideas and schools of animation. Mm-hmm. Like, I read a Twitter thread where this kid, like, goes off on how Butch Hartman ruined his childhood with Fairly Odd Parents. I'm like, First off, like, I don't agree with your platform, like, you know, worst take ever. Second, I am just really impressed that, like, you know, you have, like, a, a you know, kind of a self-didactic background in this stuff to actually have an, a, an impassioned opinion like this. Like, <laughs> you know, your the profile said that they were, like, 18, and I get it, like, you know, uh, they were probably uh, into drawing and get looking into moving on into animation in life, and you know, this out of the other, but like uh, just how generally well knowledge uh, animation fans are uh, and how much, you know, you guys are talking about like people like the dog on the SoCal style and, you know, and all this other stuff, like uh, the animation niche has really gotten pretty big, I've learned, you know, in terms of like the technical aspects reaching the fans. Mm-hmm. Well, and let's also not pretend that 80s animation styles were that varied either. I mean, go look at like G.I. Joe, look at He-Man. Like, you you know, unless it came from Japan where the head shape started off different, like you were going to see very similar styles throughout. Oh, dude, uh, I mean, it's one of those uh, Don Bluth you can pick his work out of anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you can pick him out of Disney. I mean, obviously, there's, like, the Dungeon Dr- Apparently, he even had, like, a, a beat on a Hitchhiker's Guide movie for a hot minute. Really? Yeah. Um, but, like, his animation style uh, is, is very distinctive. Um, 
but he's like i don't know uh in terms of tiers of animation he's like <laughs> a d-list animator in terms of like what people know about animation like uh he doesn't you know after a while he stopped working with dc or i was dc at warner brothers and disney all together and you know tried to do his own thing um got into heavily got in tried to do like video games there for a while and that's where the the one uh game that they were playing in stranger things uh what was that called Dragon's dungeon master dragon's lair dragon's lair yeah. yeah yeah do you remember that game oh i play i played the hell out of it when i was Dude, a kid it was um i mean it was it was amazing it was amazing yeah my my father had a, an Amiga computer. It was a Commodore uh, brand computer. Uh, it was like one of the first like 16-bit uh, PCs. Um, and uh, it ran, uh, yeah, it, it was one of the first machines to be running like CD-ROM games and stuff. And it, 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 it had a port of uh, Dragon's Lair. And I loved it. <laughs> Cause yeah, it was it was it was like better animation than you've seen on yeah. any on anything you could possibly imagine video game wise at that point. You know, there are a wide variety of animations that have impressed me over the years. Did you guys check out the guy who did an anime like an '80s anime style Tie Fighter animation? And he did oh. it by himself. No. I go to Google, look it up, look up Tie Fighter anime, and then prepare to have your mind blown. It mm. is the most gorgeously rendered, like just that you know that like you know how detailed. Remember how detailed Akira was. Ooh. Remember the opening scene. Just looking at that thumbnail is impressive, dude. Do you remember the opening scene to every like anime? Uh, yeah. like, like you know how the opening scene to like Transformers was way cooler than anything that ever showed up in the episode. Yeah. Like imagine if you <laughs> out of that opening scene, and that's what yeah. this did. It's like eight minutes long, and it's glorious. I mean, Dude, uh, he did eight minutes on it. Did Damn. you? Uh, did you catch that Netflix series? Was it? Uh, Love, Death, and Robot. Oh, that was so good, Dude. Oh, that- I've been meaning to watch that. Mm. Yeah, it was supposed to be heavy metal. That's it was right. so good. It was yeah, so good. no, I mean, uh, like just the, the the variety of shorts and animations and a lot of the, I mean, and they go around a, a variety of styles in terms of like you know doing the the 3D animations and and the, the rotoscoping. Yeah, uh, I've been me I've been meaning to check that out. Thank you for reminding me of that. Um, like uh, I love I love stuff like that. Like the like um, the Animatrix. Oh yeah, uh, animation uh, brilliant. And there was a there was a Batman one I think that was that was a, like oh, an anthology yeah, of, like of different anime stuff. Gotham, it was like kids Knights or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's where the kids are telling all the different urban legends about the Batman. Yeah, yeah no, that was yeah. really well put together. I love a good anthology of anything. That's kind of one of my favorite. Uh, yeah, across any medium. Yeah. Well, speaking of crossing a medium. We haven't forgotten our prostitute <laughs> who is running through the cocoon and playing right into the monarch's mind games. She comes into the hallway, is confronted with a selection of doors to open. And of course, the monarch shows over the lights, loudspeaker. Oh, but which door to choose? That one could have fun surprises and a year supply of turtle wax behind it. She opens the door and like a polar bear springs out and roars at her. And the monarch's like, or the polar bear from Lost. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Yes. This in is when this is this is when Lost was at the height of its popularity while we were while we were producing the show and we were coming in like everybody in the studio was coming in and like jumping on like forums looking for like theories and ideas about like what the show was about and what it meant and everybody was talking about it <laughs> so in this scene the polar bear is actually a metaphor for her cocaine addiction right <laughs> actually i was watching um I was watching an episode. I think it was another episode in in the Doctor Orpheus uh, series when he his first episode. And there's a there's a polar bear in the sidecar in one of the fantasy sequences. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And the I, can. Yeah, in the, in the joy can. The joy can. <laughs> and. Uh, I was. I saw that. I watched that right after this episode today, and I was just like, "Hey, look! It's the polar bear from Lost." <laughs> yeah, it's pretty solid. And I got to tell you, like, there are certain moments that play themselves out. Like one of the things I love the most about the show is the way that it syncretizes both contemporary pop culture, the futuristic aesthetic, and things that you loved about the past, including what the past, what the future was in the past. Right. Like, it just, that, that synchronization, that conjunction creates something truly astounding. It, it's perplexing in a way. It's literally all of humanity all at once and the polar bear from Lost. Yeah. <laughs> so from there, we head over to Brock helping Dr. Venture move his walking eye outside. Apparently, Dr. B believes it needs air. Dr. Venture asked Brock why he's just <laughs> go take it out. It needs air. That it was to uh, to help Dean out and just play for Triana. Brock's like, said it was your idea. Dr. B's like, Harley, I was trying to tell him about the birds and the bees. Brock's like, how did that work out for you? Dr. B's like, well, he stayed <laughs> late. He stayed when there was <laughs> Oh, my God. From there, we're back in the bathroom where Dean comments that the smell smells like Hank pounded garbage into his butt. <laughs> Hank, however, wants to solve the mystery of the bathroom. So Triana comes in wondering why they've been on there. She's like, God, you guys have been in there for like a, an hour. And then she smells it. She says, oh, Hank, what is wrong with you? <laughs> says, yeah, it smells like a Bible story in here. Oh, Brianna's like, did my grandpa teach you to crap? Dean, of course, is like, this is awful. Let's get Brock. <laughs> and of course, Hank's like, you always want to get a grown up. <laughs> yeah, every time there's a super cool mystery to solve, you got to get a grown up. Lame. So outside the compound, Dr. Venture is loudly thanking Brock for helping him to move his walking eye, his filthy, dirty walking eye. Now, just in terms of why, like, why is this happening? There's a line of potential arch nemeses for the Order of the Triad. They're all lined up on Dr. Venture's property. Dr. Venture is not getting the attention. And as a classic narcissist, he has to have that attention. So he takes the walking eye outside and decides that he is going to clean it. Oh, and this is actually uh, not long before this. Uh, when when I think Brock is uh, bringing the the walking eye in on the crane, we get our word of the episode, which is coffee clash. 
uh, Dr. Venture makes a, a joke about uh, wait till uh, Dr. O's a uh, little coffee clash gets a load of this. And uh, that's actually, it's a noun for an informal social greeting uh, or gathering at which coffee were served uh, or, you know, a place where people gossip. It's a, looks like a German word for water cooler. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> into my clatches. <laughs> coffee clash. Okay. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it sounds like a thing you'd buy at IKEA. Oh, Everybody try to work that into a sentence this week. <laughs> Please record yourself doing that, like prepare. I it's... moved on her like a clatch. <laughs> <laughs> you could just do that when you're a when star. You're, when you're coffee, they'll let you. So uh, this little section here with Dr. Venture washing the walking eye was a throwback to 80s boob boobies, right? You've got him sexily cleaning the walking eye. And of course you go in the line of arch villains is sitting there going like, oh, like having to bite their knuckles. Like they're getting so turned on by the super science. I love the appearance of, of trembling doctor or uh, Sergeant Hatred. Yeah. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I love the uh, the helper, or not the helper. It's not the helper walking eye, but the walking eye POV, where Rusty's uh, like pressing his non-existent like man boobs against the, <laughs> the thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We have all seen that scene. Thank you, USA, up all night. <laughs> you know, I. Okay, uh, listeners, like all, like you know seven of you around the world um if you can find me like vhs tapes or or like give me a link to like just uh hours of usa up all night footage because i really want to readdress some of this shit as an adult because i know how it affected me as a child uh but like it's going going to be so frustrating it's going to be like watching the best little whorehouse in texas well, yeah, I know. I'm totally prepared to, to be like, you know, supremely disappointed. But then there's Duckman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Truth, said a traveler. So we're That's back in the, the howling. So, nothing, so you're saying nothing offsets the dis- disappointed boob movies like Jason Alexander's. Nothing offsets blue balls like. Jason Alexander. <laughs> like, disillusioned aquatic foul Jason Alexander. Like, there's a lot of perimeter. Like, you've got to hit a lot of walls so, here. Wait a minute. So, nothing offsets blue balls like yellow ones? Quack, quack. Or if you're just really into two headed ducks, maybe. Coffee clack. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're back in the bathroom. Triana tells Hank to retrace his steps. He said he was walking into the door and somebody was probably on the toilet. Triana sits on the toilet. Hank opens the door and is suddenly engulfed in blue flames and disappears. <laughs> Hank's like, dude, I killed your girlfriend. Dean's like, she's my girlfriend. Hank says, probably before I killed her. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great brother moment. It is. It is. From there, we bounce over to the cocoon. The hooker, the prostitute, the professional. The- <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was tiny. Uh, okay. 
She's done. She's ready, I think. <laughs> Pop her out of the oven. You know what the worst part about that? That was my wife. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, was that the notification that she survived the labyrinth? <laughs> that was the notification that the guest of honor is made it into the pit in the pendulum room where the pendulum axes are swinging back and forth like it's a uh, like it's a star trek engine room <laughs> is that a period joke <laughs> <laughs> so uh she's made it through but the monarch is still getting her with the monarch's still getting her with his voiceover through the intercom and of course now like now he's just kind of doing his thing this is just kind of him doing his thing so he's in the shower lathering up and he's like you will never survive your mind will break under the strain like let me grab my loofah well so, and i love <laughs> that he can keep like general menace going throughout his everyday routine like yeah, right <laughs> mr mostly mittens must have lived in terror right like what was it down down still unceasingly still inevitably down still i quivered in every nerve to think how slight a sinking of the machinery would precipitate that clean glistening axe on my bosom <laughs> Lofa. and this is the episode where 21 thinks it's a good idea to go out on its own i know like it seemed bad timing bro I don't know how y'all do foreplay, but I know how I do. <laughs> if there isn't a swinging axe. <laughs> Reset the trap door. Yeah. <laughs> We're having company reset the traps. So um, in the bathroom, uh, I'm sorry, back at the venture compound, Dr. O and the friends are meeting up with a new potential uh, archvillain, and it turns out to be Lady Aupair. Dr. Orpheus swears he's seen her before, and then she speaks. And who is it but none other than Dr. Mrs. the Monarch? Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is also her first appearance as Lady Aupair? Uh, I believe so. Like, if this issue were a comic book, this would be a key issue. Yeah, there are so many first appearances here. Yeah. Um, now, can uh, John, thank God you're here. Because there's something I really wanted to ask you about, and I feel like you might have some insight. The Where did babies come from? I was going to ask if this was a birds and the bees situation <laughs> and if we're going to end up doing Lady Windermere's fan. <laughs> I'm a visual learner. I need storyboards yeah, I, I, drawn I, out for me about how all this works. Yeah, <laughs> white snake and white lion connect. <laughs> Can you get the clown fan or like the clown lamp? Like, Yeah. Where's... <laughs> and then... And then and some of this. Let, let me guess. <laughs> they're naked because they're art, right? Yeah, these are these are um, they're Bandai Japanese. They're called body con and body something else. One's male, one's female, and they're they're uh, for for reference. They're very articulate. See, to me, they totally look like uh, action figures from like a tool video, like Lateralis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, if, if you if you film anything in choppy stop motion, then it's a tool <laughs> video. I mean, I know the And then I have a I, I also have a Spider Man one. 
because nice because why not you know now what do you put them on to hold them in place so you can sketch them do you have a stand for them yeah yeah there's totally a, there's totally a stand that oh, um that is very cheaply made and broken <laughs> but they have a little you know, uh, it breaks when i throw it <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can, kinda, you can kind of put them. <laughs> you can put them in the thing and take pictures of them. They're very popular amongst artists. <laughs> you know, I, I like I, the way you just say "take pictures of them." Trail yeah. off. <laughs> I've heard they've got some much more life-sized uh, art dolls, uh, the real dolls, that are really popular with artists as well. <laughs> I think that's called brimping. <laughs> I'm studying for art school. Oh, Don't open the door. <laughs> the man. Nice. Everybody loves this guy, right? Dude, that is a beastly toy. The old McFarlane, McFarlane one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big. Big hunk of plastic. I don't think you've actually asked your question yet, Savage. So my question <laughs> was, the Moppets were originally meant to be throwaway, right? I, I guess. Uh, uh, when did when do they next reappear? Well, because here's kind of the thing that happens. At the end of Does this- anybody want to mop it? <laughs> yeah, she walks up. She's like, does anybody want to mop it? And then later we get the, like make it clear that like she will go to the dirt for these moppets. Like they sleep in her bedroom. They're simultaneously like super horny for her, but also don't want to look at like there. There have been a couple of conflicting things kind of playing out with the moppets. So I was curious if you had any insight. I mean, yeah, the moppets didn't make much of an impression with this episode, right? They they really. They really made their first impression when when they went off about the fucking knife. Yeah. <laughs> fucking knife. Fucking knife. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it was really t- till that episode, wh- wh- wherever that appears, uh, that that they really started to take take any form as as a character as characters in and of themselves. So here at the beginning, they were just writing a check. They didn't know they were going to cash. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they what they had planned. Um, you know, obviously we know that that Lady O'Pair herself was, you know, reference to her former identity. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't something new that she was going into. So they, you know, there's a history there. So we we learn a lot more about that later. Yes, we do. Yeah, this is a highly collectible episode, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so from there, we're back to the bathroom where Hank continues to apply face cream or something. Dean says that they should get Dr. O, but Hank thinks that's a bad idea since they kind of killed his daughter. And Dean's like, you're right. List our clues again. Hank's like, one, goth chick catches fire and disappears. No smoldering body. Beating, kill me, kill me in Morse code with what's left of her head. Stop it. Three, the smell of dumpster full of burning diapers. And four, wait a minute. Run the shower and only the hot. So Hank runs over to the shower, turns it on. The hot water starts coming out. What he doesn't know and what we only just now realize is that Torrid is in the shower behind the curtain. 
as soon as the hot water comes out, it hits torrid and starts heating up, creating steam. The steam then fogs out the mist, right? The mist comes out and fogs up the mirror. And a message appears in the mirror saying, I'm in the torrid zone, tell my father. Hank says, you're a genius. It is Triana's handwriting. Dean says, how can you tell? Hank says, she dotted her eye with a big circle. That's a total chick move, which it totally is. And then <laughs> it says- I love, this. I love this next part. <laughs> so before we get to that real quick. So Torrid has just been chilling in the shower listening to people describe his shit. Yeah. Like an hour. <laughs> like, I would just be sitting there, like, collecting that. Like, these are badges of honor. Like, dude, he's a villain who is ashamed to let people know that he poops. Well, I everybody mean, everybody poops. Everyone poops. Well, everybody. No, apparently, apparently, she is in the torrid zone, which we learn about later. But he teleported three feet to the left <laughs> into the shower. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> I find that... Well, I mean, I, w I get that move. I want to hear what people say about me. <laughs> so then Hank's trying to read and he's not doing great at it. He said, the total chick move, it says, I'm in the torrid zone, tell my feather. <gasps> we have to find her feather! <laughs> Fighter feather. Oh, I love. I love. Yeah. So they wrote. Fa she wrote father, but I love how the the A falls directly over the seam in the mirror. Yeah. So it says feather. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, we head over to twenty one and twenty four. So uh, before we move on, I want to point out, uh, a la my story earlier, that. This whole subplot is about being in the bathroom to try to have ideas. <laughs> okay. I see that. You gotta, it's only in the bathroom that you can solve <laughs> life's greatest mysteries. There you are, still sitting on the toilet. I see that. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up with ideas. So, 21 and 24 are still out in the field. 21 has both jetpacks on and is flying very badly as 21 <laughs> watches from below. And 24 is like, give it up already. We can take a bus. 21 is like, dude, jet boy and jet girl do not take buses. And 24 is like, for the last time, we are not jet boy and jet girl. I don't care if I get to be jet boy. Those names suck. But it's a French song, street cut with the indie crowd, the damned do a cover of it. Then we should be the damned. That's a way cooler name. So, we're back at ArchCon, right? Dr. O, Jefferson, and the Alchemist are finally interviewing Torrid, who informs them that he's kidnapped Triana. We have a winner, right? And they're like, dude, so thrilled. Like, Bass balls! Yeah. <laughs> I love Jefferson. <laughs> it's just it's brass balls. I love it. Well, Dr. Venture is eating for the week, and then they all have to stand up. Like, what? <laughs> I just feel like standing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Alchemist immediately stands up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, well, Dr. Venture is eating a sandwich and watching as a ton of villains attack his walking eye. And Dr. V is just loving it. So that, that eye is crawling with villains. Yeah. 
they gave up on Orpheus and his little coffee clutch. Yo, you know, the real arch rival when they see one. You want a sandwich? Brock's like, nah, I ate already. You want me to rescue it or something? Pull him off of it? Venture's like, whatever, there's killed security out there shooting foam at them. You know, between you and me, the stupid thing hardly worked anyway. But when word of this gets out, business will pick right up. Brock's like, well, I'm going to go get some of that action. Dr. B's like, uh, do you want to change? No, no way. I love wearing a tux when I kill guys. Makes me feel <laughs> like James Bond. <laughs> Which we actually know from uh, Eeny, Meeny, Miny Magic, his yeah. uh, his session in the pleasure can. Absolutely. So Dr. V sees uh, the Order of the Triad with Hank and Dean. Uh, and so he asks, who's the lucky winner? And Dr. O is like a fetid little firebrand named Taurus. And that one sentence right there is probably my favorite combination of words in the entire episode. <laughs> a fetid little firebrand named Taurus. Like, it all just works. Um, it's kind of like fetid dingo kidneys, right? It just works. So <laughs> Jefferson's like, yeah, the son of a bitch kidnapped his daughter to the Torrid Zone. Oh, Torrid Zone, so butch. Dean's like, I solved that mystery. And the Norpheus is like, yes, you did. You see, the Torrid Zone is really the area between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. I own an island there, the Great Barrier Reef. And Dean's like, so Triana is safe on Orpheus Island, sunning herself in a bikini. Now, wait, I actually have to pause for just a moment and point out that Dean is sitting on Jefferson Twilight's shoulders. <laughs> well, and you know, we're talking about tropes. They're doing like the, the big family wrap-up trope. Like, yeah. hey, gang, what's been going on? And then they give him like the whole wrap-up, like, you know, sport champ sitting there up on his shoulders. You know, uh, feeling good. Team had a victory. So she's sitting there. Uh, on an island in her bikini sunning, sunning herself in her, her bikini skin down in her skin in, in her bikini and her bikini feel some pressure on the back of his wait neck. a minute <laughs> like what, what are you doing there okay time it off my shoulders and the Akma <laughs> says I just want to commend you on accepting Hank for who he really is <laughs> I love that oh my god fucking classic and of course, Dr. O is like, let's show Mr. One might even thing. say it's his destiny. Right? Oh, God. Because of the, the suit, strength suit. <laughs> <laughs> so. No selling it. I'm no selling it. <laughs> Dr. Orpheus says, let's show Mr. Venture our thing. So they clap their arms and they do their version of Go Team Venture, which is the Order of the Triad call. And uh, and it, it happens. And Dr. V is like, great, get out of my kitchen. Get out of my kitchen. <laughs> Dr. Venture cannot be happy for Dr. O. He can't stand that Dr. O gets any of the attention. It just kills him. So credits roll. Now, we also get our stinger, which is uh, 21 and 24, dressed as uh, 20, 21 still dressed as jet girl 24 is in his monarch henchman suit and they're trying to hitchhike 21's like we can still do this jet boy <laughs> and 24 is like i can't hear you because i hate you a <laughs> <laughs> car pulls up jet girl 24 is like uh you come in jet girl he opens the door looks in the hooker's like no not again <laughs> The hooker floors it and drives away before 24 could get in the car. 
24 is like, I can't believe that horse stole my stanza. I can't believe it. I can't believe that horse made it through the lake of acid. <laughs> like there's this is probably one of the best stingers. There's a lot going on here. Uh first off, Doug's gonna be pissed. That powder blue stanza is gone. Dude. Dude. I haven't even finished paying for it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good it's so good well and the lake of acid totally uh i mean i know it's not like you know an intentional uh point of continuity but clearly like this is the preface on acid magnet like he's got vats of acid people and he wants you to know it well, and we've we've seen it remember the shark oh the that's right the sharks are never going to eat him now like put you know acid in his bay yeah like it's just a thing that they keep around you know maybe in the break room next to the really good buffalo wings <laughs> yeah so was it buffalo wings was that what that was oh yeah he was talking about like yeah the, the wings that like come out he's like if there are any wings that aren't you know yeah, yeah, yeah. grass like we're totally eating <laughs> Because they are delicious. <laughs> they give you good bathroom ideas. True that. <laughs> so let's kind of chat for a second about what we learned from this episode. I mean, number one, I'd just like to point out how unsatisfying the ending is. It ends, but it doesn't really, it, it ends with a fake wrap up which is a total callback. It's like, all right, we got ourselves here. And th th there's all this shit about an island in like, oh, yes, the Torrid Zone is simply half the fucking Earth. <laughs> like, that's all it is. Oh, yeah. And once the compound burns down, nobody's like, well, I guess we need to go live on Orpheus's Island in the Torrid Zone because we have nowhere else to stay. Like, <laughs> So actually, Orpheus Island is a real place. <laughs> I want an island there. So, in fact, I'm actually looking at their website now. It oh. is right out the Great Barrier Reef. I thought it was a euphemism. You get a five-night stay for the mm -hmm. cost of four nights, and four nights will only cost you $6,400. But you do get the fifth night free. Mm. Uh, do they take uh, payment in, in orphan parts? What, an orphan? I've got uh, like I've I've already got my DIY pleasure can done, and I've got all. I think if each of us if each of us commit to taking one night, paying for one night, we could we could do this. Uh, so that uh, it's six thousand four hundred dollars for two guests. So what we'll do is we'll. Get I don't like your attitude. <laughs> <laughs> No, we'll just get long trench coats and we'll put like Savage on my shoulders and then we'll put John on villain mm. shoulders. There you uh, go. If you want to get married there, they have a 28 guest capacity. Mm. I could get married again. <laughs> now, is that 28 guests pre or post like COVID? Like... I, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know. What I'm trying to figure out is like, 
it, there's like, oh yeah, and if you, you can land your helicopter here. Oh, okay. I mean, that's cool. And they have paddle boarding. <laughs> so that's cool. It looks like a pretty big island. I'm just trying to figure out why they're like, you know, you only 28 people on the entire island, unless you're part of our staff. I mean, exclusivity, privacy, um, eyes wide shut, you know, type weird rich people shit. Perhaps. Um, I mean, because calling it Epstein Island is, you know, not as popular anymore. Oh, that's interesting. They have five rooms you can stay in. There are five rooms on the island. What do you do with the rest of your guests? In my mind, when you say five rooms on the island, I just see five individual rooms spread across the island. <laughs> like decentralized. Like we've just got rooms you can put stuff in. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if Dr. O owns owns that island. Uh, apparently he has uh, apparently he's been doing all right. He's really into he's got he's updated his design choices since his Arachno Lab experience. Now, when we're looking at this episode, why is this an important episode for understanding Dr. O? I mean, obviously, the, the most important thing that happens in this episode, which, as far as Dr. O is concerned, is the formation of the Order of the Triad. And while we don't get a whole lot of backstory, there's plenty of backstory implied. You know, like uh, the Jefferson Twilight saying, I haven't seen you in 16 years. Like, Dr. O has been kind of rocking their lifestyle for a hot minute, right? And so he's finally getting the band back together. And what does this mean for him? And to his credit, he's able to pull together like a super team in a like an hour with almost no heads up. Well, I mean, that tells you what kind of stand-up dude that guy is. Uh, I mean, you know, granted, again, we were talking about like, you know, the whole uh, being over dramatic would get a little tiresome in, in the everyday life. But like... Uh, you know, he, he's still a really good dude and he can, you know, just show up 16 years later out of the blue. I mean, uh, Savage, you're a pretty congenial dude. You're pretty likable. I know for a fact you have friends, people in your life that you might not have heard from in 16 years that you know still exist. And if they reached out to you today, it would almost be like time picked up right where it was. I mean, yeah, it's, it's called about it's all the shit that happened in the middle, but the rapport is immediately the same and, and yeah, you get that 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 sense those um, are your true friends well and uh you know something else like we've already covered a lot as uh you know dr o as a dad um and while we get like a little bit of that here and that is you know clearly like quote unquote the the motivator that actually finally has them pick an arch um you know it, it's great to see him kind of have those little everyday moments like splash why would you want to watch Splash? <laughs> yes, there are four puddings. You may enjoy the contents of one of them. One of them. <laughs> yeah, and going back to like the, the venture brand of magical realism, like that's Dr. O is like making the mundane, like, you know, interesting and magical again, and then taking everything that's astounding and magical and making it boring as hell. Well, and I, I got to tell you again, like, I, I feel like that is the, the weakest part of this episode is the very end. And the thing that... The hooker thing was great. The what? 
The hooker thing was great. No, no, no not she that. saw the guy in the butterfly costume because yeah. she had just been tortured by like the king butterfly, you see. <laughs> not the stinger. I'm talking just like just the 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 80s sitcom wrap up. No, no, I get you. And you know, it because it there was so much room to just kind of play that differently. And I'm wondering if John, you might be able to give some insight here into why they, you know, what it is about the way this episode lands that is important for the development of these characters, if anything. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as the ending goes, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure what to say about that. Um, but there is a lot, like you said, like B said, there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot of firsts. There's a lot of new characters. I mean, the Order of the Triad is like one of the most popular things in the show. I think hands down, it's probably called out as like the single most requested like spinoff like on any kind of like Facebook group. If anybody likes talks about like what should be a spinoff show, it's almost always the number one choice. Because of the most album. popular choice is is the order, order of the triad. I think it's just just the nature of the team, the the adventures they could go on, the the you know the the past relationship, the future potential. Well, There's I mean, just so much there. There's a lot. There's a lot of meat to it. The interplay between uh, Jackson and the Alchemist is mm. hilarious to me, and that is one thing they keep consistent. Like yeah. uh, we covered the Halloween special, like you know earlier, and uh, like one of the craft jokes is like, "And you would be Rachel True. Which one's that? <laughs> Take a guess." And like they have that report. Like in this one, we kind of glossed over the joke, but it's like the blackest slimming joke. He's like, "No, no, no, but you're wearing black." <laughs> yeah. Um, Should really wear pinstripes. They lead down. <laughs> they lead to eye down. Oh, dude! And then uh, when he kind of teases him about his nickel nips, like in the the one episode down the line, like they they have a great rapport. And then you've got like Doctor O, you know, as the straight man to the whole like Laurel Lynn Hardy routine. Like he, he's the Mo in the Three Stooges. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I think you also get um, you just get a great voice acting cast that's outside of you know the the two the two creators who do so many characters. Um, yeah, they got a lot going for. Now, I mean, uh, structurally, I think what makes the ending not work is the fact that they didn't really play in a lot of other like 80s sitcoms tropes into the episode unless like producing lady windermere's fan was a thing on family ties that i missed <laughs> uh but like yeah i mean you know I, I think that that's what makes the the ending um feel a little uh off kilter um when they they you know go to stick the landing there's no uh, callback to any of the other like quote unquote like 80 strips like the only reason Dean is on 
uh, Jefferson's shoulders is to get an erection to press on his neck to tell him to get off. Like, <laughs> well, I think that the other thing there was like the only other thing I could come up with for that was that like just again eighty sitcom ending. The Alchemist and Jefferson Twilight are already accepted as members of the family. They're already Uncle Blackula Hunter and Uncle Ponchy, like medieval dude. You know, mm. like, they're already in. Mm-hmm. And okay, you know, Dean getting an erection, thinking about Triana, that's funny. But the subversion of what the Torrid Zone was was just not like it didn't play as well. well and, and I, I go ahead. he kidnapped her to the Torrid Zone. So like he, uh, I'm trying to understand. Like there's no um sense of logic to like how the magic works like he teleports himself up in flame but then he can also teleport other people well and also this is kind of what i was saying earlier was was the idea that you know he was trying to get out of the room when hank walks in or whatever so he teleports himself to the shower but then but then later he teleports her you know, miles. halfway across the planet. 20, 12,000 miles. Like, and I, I don't even think that he teleported her. It's almost like he created the portal that activated when Dean opened, when Hank opened the door again. Uh, okay. I mean, well, I mean, and I say it like, you know, uh, everybody comes to Hank's hasn't happened yet. So we don't have the, we don't have the precedent for residual magic yet you know, things where magic kind of gets left charged in a, a thing. So when she sits on the toilet, you know, pretty much exactly like, because he teleported there, there's magical energy st- stuck to the fucking toilet. Yeah. Uh, like the same way it was stuck to the keys. Magical toilet energy. We're back to this again, you know. Dude, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that MTE, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be getting texts now from him. Dude, I had an MTE moment. Like, dude, don't need to know that. Uh, (laughs) Well, sometimes I drink a lot of coffee and then take a long nap and do those like Austin Powers peas where you're going for like ever. And sometimes Is that where you come up with jokes? Like, it's a good pee. That's where you get the jokes. (laughs) But you can't laugh. Otherwise, you make a mess. No, then she yells and it's funnier. (laughs) (laughs) I look at this episode and I see this episode as laying more of the groundwork for what the show is going to become than most of the episodes that we've seen up to this point. And I am willing to forgive a, uh, like an ending where, you know, we had a couple, like, a sudden stop at the end for all the go that we got in between. And as we're looking at how Dr. Orpheus as a character is developing, like, you know, in effect, John, uh, as you guys were kind of working on the show, where did you have the feeling Dr. Orpheus was going to go? Like, did you get the insight from the, from the jump that this was going to be a strong and powerfully recurring character? I think that, um, I think that probably around this point, just like you said, 
I started to get a better sense of how the show was going to develop and where it was going. Um, what the character relationships were like, uh, you know, just like you said, Orpheus developing, I think the relationship between 21 and 24, you know, where things were going with the monarch. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. Uh, and I feel like when I was working on the show, I felt that way that, that we were starting the show writing wise and pacing wise was starting to hit its stride uh, right around this point uh, into season two. Um, Cause yeah, I, I, you know, maybe before this, um, you know, when Dr. Orpheus pops up in tag sale and especially when he shows up in the Christmas episode, you know, we know that he's kind of around and sticking around. But uh, once you start to really introduce him and build a cast around him, you know, supporting cast around him, then you really know that he's, uh, you know, a strong, you know, you could, you could build a whole plots around him now. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you said something so fascinating there, and it's just something that you hear from creators about their shows all the time, which is that shows don't really become themselves until after they've been a while. Yeah. And, and that, I've always understood that and also fundamentally questioned why that's the case. Like, why is it that you have to be in something for like a season and a half before you really start understanding what it is? And th there's a part of that that's like, okay, when you go into a show, you have an idea about what you want it to be and you go through and you run that for a while. Yeah. And then uh, it's, uh, all right, so you guys know the band Fish, right? Yeah. They play, like 8,000 minute songs. Yeah. So uh, I forget John Fishman or Chan Astagio or something was saying to the effect of like something really interesting happens to a song once you've been playing it for 25 minutes. Right. And I like to some degree, I feel like that is the same uh, process at work with a show. Like once you're in and you're doing that song, you're doing that show for a while, something really interesting happens, which is where you start understanding that all the limitations you put into place are not limitations. They're essentially like bumpers. And that at any point in time, you can remove those bumpers or hop onto the next track. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're, I'd be really fascinated for any insight that you have into how that happened during, specifically during season two here, because that's where things really started changing. Right. <clears throat> you know, I really, I, re I think it's part of it is about growth uh, and growing the characters. Once you get, um, once you get the initial joke out of the system, like you introduce Dr. Orpheus and you kind of like get the idea of like, oh, he's a Dr. Strange kind of thing. And 
the kids are afraid of him at first because he's he's a Dracula and like all this other stuff. And then you start to you start to get into the area where you start to where you understand like oh him and Doctor Venture actually have this thing in common. Like they're both single fathers. Yeah. And then you can and 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 you don't get to that to the until the end of the episode of the first appearance. Yeah. And then that that jumping off point sets up the next you know chapters or the next story ideas. And from a brainstorming point, it's like those those jumping off points are like the key to to writing to like writing interesting stuff because because yeah now you got your initial idea out of the way and then you're like okay so where can i go with this now um so i i think that a lot of it is that it's like once once you start to understand certain things about the characters and they reveal themselves to you as a writer like you write a line as a writer and it it reveals itself to you in a way that's like oh okay i can run with that um you know i think like another great example is like hank and brock's conversation about uh led zeppelin you know <laughs> during the whole scuba the whole the whole famous scuba thing yeah. Like that that reveals a relationship between the characters that you can then play with later because you now start to build this this special bond that that the two of them have that yeah. like that like Brock and Dean don't have. Um, you know what? I'm actually really glad you brought that scene up because uh, we, we just covered that episode uh, ourselves. And there's something I noticed uh, rewatching through some ventures. Hank has woken up and been choked out by both Brock and Molotov. <laughs> <laughs> Is it okay to cry? Yeah, I think it's interesting to find you know uh, when you read interviews with writers and stuff you really start to pick up on the idea that like the characters tell them things and 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 kind of guide them where to go and and that's very much true um because because you're looking you're looking for the next idea and you're finding it within your own little bits of dialogue and revelations and it kind of unlocks the next the next part. If that, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's a really fascinating approach. And it's one, again, it's a, it's something that you hear about pretty frequently, but it's something that doesn't always get a whole lot of explication. And I've often, you know, considered it uh, something that even the creators themselves don't understand. Um, right. Like, uh, I forget who it was. I, there, I was listening to a an interview and it was an up-and-coming musician she was kind of like a country artist you know very good at what she did i feel like i can't remember her name but she always asked other musicians where they received their songs from right like in her mind 
she wasn't writing the songs. She right. was receiving them and just happened to be the one who was expressing them. Right. And I wonder if something kind of similar isn't happening once you, you know, again, once you're kind of working on the show, as it's developing, you are, you are receiving these characters and you hear it from writers all the time. Yeah. Like, like, you know, the, the characters, the, the book wrote itself, like the characters told me what they wanted to do. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to see that play out, especially in an episode like this, where, you know, again, you see so much happening and developing. And when you go back and you look at the individual elements, there's nothing so on the nose about it. It's all the stuff in the margins. Like, yeah, you've got all this other stuff happening, but it's those moments in the margins. It's those pairing offs. It's the way that the character expresses itself in little moments that truly makes these characters so unique. And it, I, we've said it a hundred thousand times before, and we will continue saying it. The fact that we can discuss how characters develop after two episodes worth of material is just shockingly good writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard, I've heard the idea, the notion of receiving music before. Uh, I read it from um, a system, system of a Downs, Serge Tankian. Oh yeah, yeah. and uh, they've actually, they've got a new album coming out. They've, they've got new material, but he talked, he talked about. Um, yeah, they, they released two new songs the other day. Uh, but he he talked about how he believes that um, you know none none of the melodies that he writes um, are something that he created. That there's something that they exist in the universe, and he when he sits down to write music, he's he's open to receiving them. Well, I mean, um, uh, you know, kind and, of paraphrase. Uh, who was it? Um, uh kurt cobain like you know there's you know so many frets and six strings on a on a guitar you know every sound's been played every you know note's been made and it's really just you know there's nothing new under the sun it's how you arrange that and i think that that's kind of where the the receiving comes in is understanding you're not making a new thing right you're putting old things together in a unique way right and i've i've actually used a very similar analogy describing um those ideas to you know uh, a young writer who i helped mentor because he was very he was very concerned about just going over the same tropes or just you know running into clichés and how do i be original how do i you know everybody's going to think i'm copying things and how do how do you be original anymore um, and I, I kind of talked about like the idea that like, you know, if there's certain limitations in the universe without, you know, and yet every single morning you can walk out the door and have a unique experience, like, how does that happen? Um, and how, how can you work? How can you take that? uh notion into your writing and i and, you know and i tried to explain to him you know that every writer is 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 um writing from their own perspective and their own experience writing about characters who are 
having their own experience. Um, so even in, when they experience things that are familiar to people, um, it's that insight, that unique insight that they have that makes it interesting. Yes. And um, I think I think Venture Brothers is a great example of that. The familiarity of the references, the the, the tropes, the content, the you know the types of storylines, the the superhero stuff, all that is familiar to us. But it still spins itself into a very very unique shell. <laughs> you know, like uh, one of the the more interesting shows that just kind of wrapped up was uh, the season two of The Boys. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's almost the exact same idea as, as Venture Brothers on some level, but, you know, just executed, uh, you know, in a, in a very, very different manner. I mean, right. the same thing could be said about, like, you know, The Boys and, and Watchmen, you right. know. Um, and, uh, right. like, one of, them, one of them is what was... Jackson Public's, you know, reaction and outlook on superheroes and genre material versus, you know, the upbringing and outlook of a guy like Garth Ennis versus Alan Moore. Yeah. You know, and, and like what those people bring to the material along with their life experience. Like, I can only imagine what Chris McCulloch's family life, his relationship with his father, his relationship with his brother, and how that informs everything that is happening in the Venture Brothers around Jonas Venture Sr., Dr. Venture, his sons, the relationship between Dean and Hank and, you know, all that stuff. So it's all that personal stuff that gets injected into the characters that makes um, a work unique, but also very relatable to any human being because we've all grown up in a family and understand those relationships on a, on a psychological level what was it doc hammer said like uh anything bad that happened to dean happened to me yeah yeah probably <laughs> right like he was talking about the one scene where he's sitting in the Dr. venture's childhood well no he's talking about the one scene where dean was sitting in the black dirt and gets the ants yeah like, right. that happened to doc hammer and he does when he's like yeah anything that ever bad happens to dean like happened to me you know, maybe punched up a little bit, but like that happened. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was spending a little bit of time today. I started, I've been focusing a lot on the Proto-Indo-Europeans lately and like the attempts to reconstruct not just the language, but also the mythology. And one of the things that they found is that they can actually construct big, reconstruct big parts of the Proto-Indo-European culture mythology by looking at how it spread out and the things that we have in common among all these different cultures like the latin word for fire is igni right the hindu god of fire is agni the the greek king of the heavens is zeus the father zeus pater in latin it's jupiter 
right? In, in Sanskrit and Hindi, it's Dyuspitar, right? And so they've gone back and reconstructed these things and they have found a lot of these, like the, the cosmology and the pantheon. You had your sky father, right? And then you had your personifications of the sun and the moon. You had your dawn goddess and her twin brothers, okay? Specifically, oh, dawn. Right? So <laughs> specifically, right, the, you know, the morning star is Venus, but it either shows up on the left or the right. So it's twins. They didn't quite realize it was the same planet orbiting the sun. So that's why Dawn has, a, that's why Helen has the brothers Castor and Pollux. Is, is Dawn's sister Madison? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we were talking about why certain themes kind of carry through and carry on. Right. And uh, my son Hunter, uh, sorry, ha. Oh, you son of a. I'm sorry. You know how far down, like, mm. We're at a hot minute. So uh, my son, Ha Wan, and I were chatting and we were talking about this and I was asking him to make connections between the way these myths play out and the type of stories that he's been exposed to, not just through cartoons, but also through, you know, like comics and the movies and shows that he likes. So a large part of it was, you know, it's subject way the hero's journey. Like we were talking about Percy Jackson and Harry Potter. And, it, you know, it's like, so we could take a character uh, called Percy Sky Potter, right? And, you know, reconstruct this journey using all these elements that everyone else has used, but because we're putting them in a slightly different context, it's going to come across differently. And it was in that moment- It's going to come across as straight to DVD. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it was in that moment that it occurred to me that some of those same elements from the most, like from this 6,000 year old culture are legit playing themselves out in the Venture Brothers. Right, right. And Absolutely. This, like we've got the, the twin boys and the twins are usually named like uh, after a horse, strangely enough. Like in mm -hmm. Old Norse, it was Horsa and Hengist who colonized what we now know of as Britain. Uh, like, you know, you had Castor and Pollux or Polyduques. the teeth. <laughs> right? And <laughs> as you're kind of looking at it, we're seeing it, like these parallels kind of play through, which brought me up to what I was going to ask you, John, before we wrap up the episode. In that story, you had the first king and the first to die. That's Cain and Abel, right? Mm. That's the same story. That the, so the first one, Manu, is the king. And the second one, uh, Yima or Emir or Yama in ancient the Vedic literature, right? And Emir in the Norse literature is the first to die. So how it like when we're looking at how these tropes go through, we haven't spoken with you since the news came out that the Venture Brothers was canceled. Right. And I know that you have been particularly active with the Save the Venture Brothers campaign, as well as your own projects. So I was curious if you had any insights as being someone who's a little more plugged in. Uh, uh, that was an interesting look. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you had any more insights and in the absence of insights into what might be taking place, if you had any suppositions about where things might have gone with a season eight. Season eight. 
I don't have any direct insight. And I have... You have such an interesting look on your face right now. I have... I have ref- Would you describe I, I have it as really, indirect insight? I have really restrained myself from uh, reaching out to the creators to get that insight. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it would be pretty awesome if I had, if I had that information. But even if I did... <laughs> I, uh, I really like I really, with that information. I really, I really like it for them to get that opportunity to, you know, present it the way they intend to, uh, which I am hopeful. Uh, will happen in fall 2020 will happen <laughs> um i am i have <laughs> I, I have i have the maximum hope that that could happen he's holding up a sign right now that says no <laughs> uh, it says stop asking me questions i have I'm not legally allowed to say anything i um, have reason to believe that what's the NDA? NDA, NDA, non-disclosure <laughs> agreement. Yes. That's what you're waving in front of us. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> no, I really, I really don't have, I really don't know anything. I have my own uh, theories as to where things will go in terms of uh, how they'll be able to wrap things up and stuff, and and the the whys and the wherefores of of how that's happening um from a behind the scenes contractual viewpoint um but it's all conjecture from 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 my point of view well you're in luck because uh, we make a technology out of conjecture yeah well, there you go <laughs> join us so conjecture away sir what would be <laughs> your like top couple of uh of what, what would be on your wish list if we were to get a season eight? If we were to get a season eight, what would be on my wish list? Uh, story, you know, in continuity, storylines. I mean, we we definitely, I mean, this we want to see more about the boy's mother. We want to see more about Everybody wants to see Scare Bear. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, you know, where's where's Dean going? What's he going to do? What's you know, uh, also there? on the topic, on the quick topic of Scare Bear, uh, why, like, they aren't banging out some fucking plushies of these things? <laughs> 50 bucks a pop, like, you could sell that. I would buy one of those. I would give my kid a Scare Bear doll. I mean, they watch Five Nights at Freddy. It's no weirder than that shit. That, yeah. that poor child. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, God, it took them quite a while to get any kind of merchandise going on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this just... I don't even know. I need to revisit... I need to revisit season seven. Um 
and kind of revisit some of the checklists as far as un, uh, unresolved plot lines go. But um, there's a big one at the very end. <laughs> well, if I'm if my memory serves, we have Dean was walking off, right? Something something like that. No, yeah, Hank well, was walking off. Hank was walking off. Okay. And, uh, we we got the the big revelation, like uh, watching Ward share with the monarch during his tinning that he is somehow not you know they never say the direct right, 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 relation right, right, but they right. say that they are somehow related right right yeah so i mean Pierce. we just we just gotta we gotta dig into that of course um ah, i love i love all the the speculation about uh <laughs> you know just jonas venture just being everybody's father and banging everybody's <laughs> wife you know <laughs> everybody's everybody's wives was cheating on that on in, in team venture was was banging jonas and having children with him <laughs> oh dude i mean uh they actually i think they covered it last night uh they were i was listening to them record venture sisters and uh audrey and dolly uh were talking about how <coughs> billy has red hair and triple threat mm. clearly used to roll around with like old school team venture. Right. Like, uh, I, I think I was telling Savage at one point, like Jonas Venture may have changed the DNA of the planet more than Genghis Khan. Like <laughs> <laughs> perhaps spread that Neanderthal DNA. Yeah, well, that's what I want to know is uh, what's going to happen to like Jonas Venture's head? Because clearly, uh, much like Futurama, just heads can live. Like, you know, so what 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 they're going to do with that is interesting. Like, I know exactly what they're going to do. Jonas AI. They're going to put it at the Four Seasons between the dildo shop and the crematorium. There you go. <laughs> now I want to see it become like they they make like a a Jonas AI, and then he has to have that awkward talk with mother. <laughs> no, dude, they're going to make the Jonas AI and it's going to be the first artificial intelligence that starts building its own body exclusively out of material from the dildo store. <laughs> Wake up, Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> Set your phasers for tingly fun. Uh, so with that being said, is there anything that you guys would like to offer before we wrap up this week's episode? Yeah, I want to throw this in um, because we were talking last time about uh, the voice actor behind Dr. Orpheus and uh, at Steve Rattazzi. And, um, and also because we talked about um, the piece of Dr. Orpheus art that I sold to uh, my neighbor at Comic-Con, which happened to be Fred Van Lenthe. Yeah. Uh, co comic book writer um, that he gave to his wife, uh, Crystal Skillman. Well, it turns out that Crystal and Fred wrote a off-Broadway play called King Kirby. And Kirby, Jack, uh, about Jack Kirby um, and his life. And Jack Kirby was played on stage by Steve Rattazzi. Really? And 
that performance is available in podcast form. Oh, that's cool. So you can find, if you search King Kirby blog on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, you can uh, find it. It's in three parts. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet myself, but um, yeah, that should, uh, you know, give you some, uh, some insight there and Marvel legacy of Jack Kirby. Ooh. Oh dude. Yeah. I mean, it, this is probably one of the greatest coffee, uh, coffee, uh, clatch books, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, coffee table books I've bought in a while. Like I, I love Jack. Who's, Kirby. A, who's the publisher on that one? Uh, I want to say it's Marvel. Um, but no, I love uh, Fred Van Linty's stuff and knowing that he's doing uh, like an homage to, uh, yeah, this is published by Marvel. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's got all the Axel Alonso, Joe Casada, Dan Buckley, Alan Fine. Um, okay. But yeah, no, because uh, Fred Van Linty is an amazing writer on his own. Um, his comic stuff is great. Like he his history, the his comics history of comics is probably like one of the biggest must reads I would tell anybody if you're really serious about learning about comics. Yeah. Um, and then of course, uh, and I'm actually surprised uh, Savage didn't pick this one up. Uh, his title Action Philosophers is killing it. Yeah. It's like, you know, every issue is a new philosopher. So him doing a big like uh, love letter to Jack Kirby is just some, like, I'm going to tell you, man, that's probably the best news I've heard all day. Yeah. And it's been a shit day. Like, you know, half a Scooby-Doo died. <laughs> Yeah, that's a downer. <laughs> but um, yeah, so check that out. I'm going to check that out soon. Um, and uh, yeah, that's going to be cool. And John, I know, again, you've got a lot of projects that you're working on. Is there anything that you would like to uh, promote while you're here with us? Yeah, we're, I'm working on right now the main thing um is is putting together uh an auction to sell season one artwork production artwork from the venture brothers i've got a stack of stuff um i was hoping to have it on sale by now uh through ebay uh and my website um but i reached out to um the auction house heritage auctions and they're interested um in taking a look at it uh so there may there's a potential partnership there so i'm putting the stuff together to send out to them to see where it takes so i'm not sure on the timeline because of that um of when it will actually go on sale but um yeah there's a lot of stuff uh, and I, I'm eager to make it available for the fans because I know a lot of people are hungry for it. Well, and uh, I mean, if it's possible, uh, like if we could get like a friend of the show discount, because uh, I would love to buy a piece. <laughs> and what essentially that means is I will get Vaudevillain to do any kind of birthday stuff with his mouth. I'm talking <laughs> like some real labyrinth shit. Deeper. <laughs> As deep as you'll go, Captain. 
Oh boy. I don't think she can take any more. <laughs> That's pretty solid. Well, let's... I think I think uh I think friend of the show increase uh is going that to seems be more appropriate. Uh there's a friend of the show tax. Yeah. Then he's going to do it whether you want it or not. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out to join us for the next episode of our Dr. O Block, which we are tentatively calling a very special episode of Blossom. Uh, push it out. And <laughs> what was the other part? MT. Like, <laughs> we've abbreviated it to MT. Mighty Push. <laughs> no, that was a Cohen. Br- no, that's a mighty win. That's what happens before a mighty push. What was your original name, Vaughn? Oh God, I can't even to perceive and control. Perceive there we and go. Control. Yeah, perceiving and controlling a very special episode of Blossom with a mighty push. <laughs> uh, that's the best name for this particular. It's great. All right, how I learned to stop worrying and love the. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were joined this week by myself, Brock Savage, my longtime companda, the indomitable beast, Baron Beast Lamote, our resident denizen of Dinner Theatra, the vaudevillain, and our very special guest, uh, a man for whom no pseudonym is pseudonymous enough, Mr. John Rossetti. <laughs> Rossetti. Rossetti. <laughs> according, to, according to Brock. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> So, uh, obviously, we are super excited that you came out to join us today. We can't thank you enough for taking the time and sharing your expertise and your genuine love of the Venture Brothers with us and with our listeners. So Yeah, I appreciate the invite. From all of us, thank you very kindly. And we are really excited about uh, seeing it. We'll make sure to uh, send everybody we possibly can to take a look at those once you get those up. And I guarantee there are going to be some very excited Venture fans this Christmas. <laughs> well guys that's about it for this episode of conjectural technologies a venture industries podcast thank you so much for coming out to join us and do not hesitate to hit us up and if you've got any questions that you might like to ask john uh you can send them to him via our web details which the baron beast will be sharing with you momentarily thanks so much guys have a great night safe driving and Please join me as we welcome in a bright new future with a very, very, very bold Go, Go Team, team oh, adventure. adventure! Brothers? <laughs> Guys? John, I, I hate to say it, you just proved you've never listened to an episode of this podcast before in your whole life. <laughs> Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, Beast Lamode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaude Villain. Edited by Beast Lamode and Vaude Villain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pot and go team venture.
we blow it every time. He did it perfect. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't know it was coming. (laughs) It's the ones you don't see. It's the ones you don't see. Alright guys. Oh, <laughs> it was rule number one. That's so good. Okay. Alright. I will leave you guys to it. Have a great night, y'all. Later on, guys. Alrighty. Take it easy. Guys.